0: fables and reflections podcast where we just where we reflect on any and all of the fables of neil gaiman uh, i am your co-host angela bones bullock
1: and i'm the other host jd martin who is always a little bit tickled that angela stumbles over our intro every time so,
0: so so, yeah <laughs> it's listen i should have read it out loud more when i was writing it i did not we're now stuck with it I also did it completely from memory, and so, like, I, I know I fucked it up, but I don't know and exactly look, where.
1: <laughs> Bravo to you. The, like, uh, it took me so long to to get uh, the Comics Quest intro down to memory, no. and now I can't get uh, it out I, of my head.
0: I, I also, uh, I also sympathize now more so with, uh, our, our fellow CPOV member, uh, uh, rachel quirky shank with uh, infinity pod where <laughs> if you listen to those early episodes for like the first year and a half she she could not do it in one take um anyway uh today is a very special episode with uh two special guests one uh, returning guest, uh, our dear friend, uh, Nick Wolf.
2: I continue my journey to justify a purchase I made over 11 years ago.
0: <laughs> there, there you go. It's fi- finally paying off. Uh, and then, uh, first time guest and, uh, not, not last time guest, uh, <laughs> is Mr. Alan Gisler.
3: Hello, people of Earth. It's good, good to be with you all again.
0: Uh, it is actually a uh, uh, a special treat for me because I was I was telling Alan this off mic. Uh, his his old podcast, Crazy Sexy Geeks, was like one of the first podcasts I listened to when I started listening to podcasts. Uh, Alan Alan's OG. Yeah, <laughs>
4: <laughs> that,
3: no, that's that's extremely um, that is extremely uh, heartening and and uh, flattering and and lovely to hear. And and I also love that you know I've. I've been on, on uh, what I think we've done four podcasts together, JD. Yeah, four so far. Yeah. This is, four this so been, far. This is the big number five. And, and then, of course, we mentioned Rachel earlier, who is an old pal of mine, who I introduced to Sandman uh, long ago wow. and far away uh, in in the realm known as New York City. And uh, yeah, I'm I'm place. happy to. <laughs> I'm I'm very happy to be a part of this and to uh, chat about uh, a comic that uh, continually uh, brings me joy. In which, actually, this particular storyline, I on rereading it, I find I relate to it much more as a 40-year-old man than I did as, like, a 17-year-old uh, high schooler.
1: Yeah, so... Uh, yeah, I... Oh, sorry, Angela, go
0: ahead. Well, I, I was just going to say, like, I feel like there's a lot of... Uh... I wouldn't even say children's, well, I mean, sometimes children's literature, but, like, young adult literature, stuff like that, like, that you, like, revisit as an adult. And it's like, okay, there's, like, so many more layers that I was picking up on um, before, than before. Uh, I will uh, continuously
1: reference uh, the moment in Justice League Unlimited when Green Arrow refers to himself as, and I quote, an old lefty. And I go... That was in a children's cartoon <laughs> in the early
0: 2000s? Okay. Okay. I, I listen, Animaniacs uh got away with a fingerprints joke.
3: Yep. <laughs> yep. <clears throat> I recall.
0: Uh, uh so today we are covering uh continuing yeah our, our same man uh which is Volume two, the Doll's House, uh, which I actually realized this upon this reread, w- why exactly it's called the Doll House, like thematically, um, which like it's what like what I, like what I first read it was just like okay yeah that's a you know kind of cool name dreams whatever but, reference like, it, to
2: Russian yeah, it, it
3: theater hit l- yeah the- themes but, uh, of independence are definitely definitely recurring in this one
0: yeah. Uh, But it's also, it was also interesting rereading this after not too long ago, uh, rereading Overture. Mm -hmm. Um, There's a lot of groundwork for Overture in this, because while we covered, yeah, because while we covered Overture first, uh, this was written (laughs) decades before Overture. So yeah, it was, and that's also like why I wanted to do Overture first, to see like how that would affect the read of uh, going through this Um, and yeah. And so like, there's a lot of references here. Uh, Jumping ahead a little bit to the end um, with, (laughs) with desire being in the cat suit. Yes. uh, I'm wondering if this is when desire, like right after, like, because desire has that like time travel (laughs) device. So I'm wondering if like desire just got finished with all that bullshit from overture uh i mean it's
1: possible it's, i
0: wonder if that's the implication
1: i'm also i'm also i'm i'm the one sitting here uh seeing desire in the cast and just going yep that's a mood that's a mood i can get on board with
0: <laughs> yeah uh any any chance to implement to, uh cat actions Speaking uh so cats, the... i'm
1: surprised that smoke is not just like yelling at me right now as she was earlier
0: don't jinx yourself. It well. She, well don't, yeah, yeah. Don't don't jinx it. She's finally calmed down. <laughs> but also, we we do need the the obligatory uh, FNR cat cameos.
1: Always, as, um, as as has been mentioned on the show and, and and on multiple occasions, um, all Fables and Reflections cats are unofficial co-hosts.
0: Uh, so let's let's dig into uh, the interestingness of uh the doll's house which i mean we're talking about overture laying some groundwork or uh, this laying groundwork for overture but it's it, like i feel like it's a very key trade key storyline because it lay uh, it lays the groundwork for like several other several other uh storylines down the road mm-hmm. um if you're if you look for if you know what to look for you can kind of see everything being laid out and that's what's interesting about this series is it's serialized in terms of each like it has you know these different stories but that in small ways each one feeds into the next one
1: yeah it's also and... i'm go sorry ahead, go ahead oh no i was just gonna say like a very a very small com- a very small moment that uh that reminded me of that and how uh how Gaiman is so adept at uh weaving this large story using small by using small moments to to expand upon it is there's a moment in the the last issue of this of of this story uh where our kind kind of like our our point of view character here Rose Walker mentions the the young woman who died during the 24 hours issue in fables and are in uh in preludes and
3: nocturnes
4: mm-hmm. it's like oh yeah she yeah, called me like, she
1: called me right after uh right after trying to get a hold of her girlfriend and then she died
3: <laughs> yeah judy right
0: yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah yeah that's right i was trying i was trying to remember the name I, ne- I remember i remember the girlfriend's name i couldn't remember her name judy yeah that's right
0: it's yeah she go ahead
1: i, I was
3: just gonna say that um it's such an interesting trade to me also because it's, so this was actually the first Sandman trade. Ah. They, because also let's, let's keep, this is uh 1989, 1990. And the, uh, when, when the trade came out and at that time, like DC, I mean, now any run of a, of a regular decently uh, well-selling comic book series is going to get collected in trades. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Not so in the 1980s, not even so for a lot of the 1990s. And uh, at the time, DC uh, had no plans really to start doing that with Sandman. But then it had gotten enough press. And you had places like Rolling Stone were starting to pay attention. And this story in particular uh, was, was getting enough heat. And they thought could also work well as this is something we can give to non comic readers. Because... Uh, you don't have cameos by Justice League villains or, or uh, you know, Mr. Miracle and the Martian Manhunter showing up. Um, it's it's primarily its own thing that you could get into without having knowledge of the greater DC universe, um, <clears throat> even though you've got the whole Sandman, uh, uh, Hector Hall factor that comes in later. It, it can work on its own. Yeah. So they collected this in trade first, and they also in the original version of this trade started it with issue eight which is the epilogue of the previous storyline um the sound of her wings uh because that issue had been a bestseller and neil was told them don't do that that's the epilogue of the previous story it's not an intro into this story and they said no it's the best-selling issue we've had of this series we're absolutely including this in this trade because who knows if we're going to make other trades of this series. Um, yeah, which also you know-
0: which also, uh, which also uh, just I know that in terms of like this th- this trade is also kind of where uh, Gaiman finds his footing for the series. is mm-hmm. the first one's kind of like this superhero horror book. Yes. Uh, and he also thought it was going to get cancelled. Like, he was going to get a phone call while he was writing issue 6. It's like, alright, you got two issues left to wrap it up. You're cancelled. And he's like, oh, okay. And so, like, that's that's why the previous story ends at issue 8. Yeah. And then it's like, and then it issue 8 ends up being the best seller of the series so far, uh, which I, I did not know. Um, and but yeah, so, like...
1: You had Morpheus feeding pigeons
3: yeah
1: of course it's going to suck you
0: did
3: (laughs) yeah yeah of course it's 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 a fascinating um thing there also because neil like like you said he didn't expect that this was gonna last um and it wasn't because he had a lack of faith in himself but it was also this is a time when um and he pointed this out himself in a few interviews if you're critically acclaimed um but not dealing with a miniseries in comics, uh, then you're probably going to get canceled. Uh, you're you're probably not going to sell very well, um, especially in this this sort of post Watchmen, post V for Vendetta. V for Vendetta had just come out, you know, a year before. Um, this was this was sort of a wild time for DC, where you were getting into these experimental things, but a lot of those experimental things were miniseries. Uh, they weren't ongoing series. They weren't trying to be ongoing series. You had things like, you know, Cosmic Odyssey was a new crossover that had just happened and wound up with the heroes won, but also Green Lantern John Stewart accidentally let a planet die. So he's going to contemplate suicide for an issue and deal with that for a while. And um, we, we've got Peacemaker. He's back and we've rebooted him so that he's more violent. And also turns out his dad was a literal Nazi. So that's a thing. <laughs> and Plastic Man, we rebooted his origin in 88, that he has brain damage and uh, gets suicidal before he decides to become a hero. And his sidekick is now a former mental uh, ward patient. And da, da, da. Like this was the sort of era you're in where it's, it's almost going too deconstructionist, a little too dark. Maybe some of them are taking the wrong lessons of, of Watchmen and all. But you also had all these experimental things of building up like, the religion and the myths of superheroes. Uh, Martian Man had a miniseries in 1988, which finally introduced a Martian religion and introduced Haran Mir, which then Dream references in Preludes and Nocturnes. Um, you had Hellblazer had just started. Uh, you had uh, Checkmate was coming out. Grant Morrison just started writing Animal Man. Like, so this is sort of a wild, funky time, and, and Neil had no reason to believe that he was special. In that. Uh, but, but, and then also, he was actually going against expectation because in Preludes and Nocturnes, you have the, the hell issue, which wasn't its best seller of that run, of, of that first storyline, but was arguably with general fans the most popular. And fans were like, oh, he's got to go back to hell. He's got to deal with Lucifer and all. And so DC sort of expected him to do that for the next storyline. And Neil later said that he. He really wanted to shake, if we are going to continue, he wants to shake fans' expectations. He wants to go into a different yep. story that's about storytellers where where the endless can sort of take a back seat and where, like you said, J.D., Rose Walker is really the, the protagonist for a good deal of it. Dream is almost a secondary protagonist or the protagonist just for the first half of things. And, and then sort of becomes yeah. this force of nature that affects things later. And... And also, Neil Neil actually joked a couple times he thought if, if he went immediately back to hell, uh, then the book was going to become X-Men, where it's a crowd pleaser, but it's not really challenging anyone.
0: Yeah. Yeah, yeah I feel like I feel like Gaiman uh, is always one to let the story go where it should or needs to, and not necessarily where he or others want it to. Um. I do like rereading this is uh, rereading this trade and then Preludes and Nocturnes um I really liked uh I I really like this the kind of standalone issues um uh which I mean speaking of the 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 hell one where like he goes to hell uh <laughs> Nick's avatar is the I Am Hope is a yes. it's a, a crop of the I Am, <laughs> of the I Am Hope uh, panel. Um, I also personally, I think one of my favorite issues of the series is in this issue, where uh, it's a, it's a break in the story, where you see um, the it's Men of Good Fortune, where <laughs> a very old school fairy tale death and dream walk into a bar <laughs> here this guy saying oh death is for fools like everyone's doing it like i'm not gonna die and, and, and then yeah and then death is like i mean i won't i won't touch him if you don't want me to and dream is like all right sure <laughs> let's see what happens yeah, probably my favorite. He's, like, all right. he's like all right i'll make you a deal
1: i'll see you in 100 years and then just walks out hmm. 100 years later. They meet again, and they keep meeting every hundred years. Yeah, that's that it, actually probably got my favorite panel. Just discussing
2: him That's my favorite panel of death doing her best sipping tea impression.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, she's just, yeah, she's got a goblet of wine.
3: <laughs> like, I want to
4: it That happen. is
0: a, That is a good one. Well, also, that talk, is a good one.
3: talk about your, your point, Angela, about Gaiman lets the story guide him. Because initially he had that idea of, okay, what if what if dream if what if Morpheus has someone that he hangs out with every hundred years? And hmm. so they're going to be again, it's 1989 now, what have happened in the 89 years of different centuries. And figures out that one of those one of those centuries, one of those 89 years is when Kit Marlowe has just put out Faust, and at the same time, Shakespeare has just written uh, Henry VI, which Neil then reread, or actually read for the first time. And like many of us who have read it, knows that it's shit. And, <laughs> and so then that informs the impetus of what if then Shakespeare, I, I have him sort of enter a Faustian pact, but instead of damning himself, he's just hanging out with Dream. And that the payment for Dream will be things we will be told about later. But but in framing that, just like oh look, it's it's that right year. This happened to Shakespeare. Isn't that interesting? You wind up forming this little like not even C plot, but like almost D plot. Just this one narrow thread underlying now the rest of the series that
0: involves. It's like a, two pages.
3: Yeah. Yeah. That it, it, it's like yeah. it, it sets up this beautiful thing of of again, Sandman is, is not just a story about stories, it's a story about storytellers and, and the nature of storytelling and what it can do and perspectives. And you have now this introduction of Shakespeare that will lead to two issues illustrated by Charles Vess which are arguably like brilliant issues that if the rest of the series didn't exist, those two issues would still work beautifully as these incredible stories. One of which won the World Fantasy Award and they changed the rules so that the comic books couldn't win again. And... and uh
1: Oh God. It's, yeah, that's the that's actually coming up in our in our next episode.
3: Yeah, Virgin there you go. Country. Yeah. It's it's a, it's a I'm it's very a brilliant... excited to read. And and to drop and to drop the the men of good fortune, which I agree with you, is one is is one of my favorite parts of Sandman period. And to drop that in the middle of a quest storyline. Um mm-hmm. is so interesting. And again, Neil is shaking the expectations of the audience. And in a way that uh, really hadn't been done before, but also is isn't really done afterwards. Cause even the audible audio drama adaptation of, of Sandman um, where they, they call it act one and they're basically adapting for that for act one. It's uh, preludes and nocturnes up until a uh, Midsummer night's dream. Which I think is not a great thing, but like I actually would have preferred if they just ended with on her the sound of her wings. But anyway, um they have Men of Good Fortune first and then they jump into the quest of uh tracking down the nightmares and everything. So they first do like yeah. the Nada story and then Men of Good Fortune and then they jump into the quest and do that uninterrupted. And I, I found that very curious because I get why they're doing that, but it, it seems uh anti-game informed to me where we're allowed to have interludes and we're allowed to have these weird intermissions um because it's it's setting up other themes and it's not just a standalone story in the middle of the quest it's actually agreeing with the theme of the story the themes of the story one of which is uh how much can people change and what are the boundaries we put on ourselves
0: yeah yeah especially with uh especially taking it taking that out of order because you have him say at the very end of the last issue when like uh with with the 50s sandman sidetrack in the previous issue uh which is apparently him and the nightmares have been living in uh rose's brother's head um which is also an interesting reference to uh The art references um, Little Nemo, yes, but in a much darker, which in a much darker fashion, where when Nemo wakes up, it's not oh safe in his bed or like you know just falling on the floor. It's like no, he's in there's in a basement, piss filled. Yeah, this piss filled, dirt floor basement that he's just rotting away in. Chewed on by rats. Um, Yeah, Uh, that was hard to watch. But he even says
1: hard to watch was the 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 rat the rat scene
0: yeah, it's, it, uh, it's real fucked up, uh, but he says, <laughs> so, like, literally this explosion happens, this house is destroyed, uh, this poor pregnant woman that has been in the dream for two years, uh, he's like, all right, listen, uh, i have eventually come back for that kid, because that kid, like, is, is mine, um, uh, so, like, I'm going to see you later. I have a previous engagement.
1: <laughs>
4: yeah.
0: Bye.
1: Yeah, and uh, honestly, that moment is so interesting to me uh, as far as Dream's characterization because it it's another one of those moments where Dream is, uh, although very concerned with humanity because it is because of humanity that he exists. It is their belief in him that he exists and, that, and he points that out in this story. But mm-hmm. at the same time... Uh, his, he, he's his extreme, I mean, like, he's part of the endless, you know, there's no reason for them to get emotionally attached to humanity. Uh, So it's very interesting to have this juxtaposition of he is here because of them, but he really has no emotional ties to them. So however they feel about a certain situation, he doesn't actually care. He says, no, this is the way the situation's going to work out, and mm-hmm you're not going to do anything about it. You're just going to have to live with the situation that I'm about to, you know, I'm, I'm about to be, a, you're about to be a part of.
3: It's, it's, it's funny to me because, I mean, the The story that, that we then lead into, Men of Good Fortune, is one that's showing uh, on a very small level, but it's clearly there. And then we, we understand it further and further as the series goes on, that Dream's imprisonment has changed him. And is continuing to change him. That he is gaining a greater empathy for humanity. And a greater care and concern. Whereas beforehand. He is actually much like Desire in some ways. Where he's, he's viewing them. Desire sees humanity sort of as play things. But, but Dream doesn't go that far. But does seem to see them as dream machines. Uh, that you know, yeah. I, I run maintenance on them. And that's kind of it. Um, so his... His his cruelty, in in dismissing Lita and the trauma that she's just undergone, is in keeping with that. Yet at the same time, he's willing to interrupt his quest because I don't want to be late for a person who I actually will acknowledge as friend now, and will greet with a smile. And and after at, yeah. by the end of next issue, you will understand how interesting that is. That I can do that now. It, it, it's it's sort of this weird like. He's growing, but he's also not quite there enough. He's not quite the point where he's grown enough to consider Lita's feelings. Because he's kind of pissed off about this situation anyway. And and so yeah. like, he, he he got a laugh out of some stuff, but he's pissed off about it. He he dispi- uh, dispels with uh, Hector Hall. He doesn't look after the kid that he knows has been no doubt abused in multiple levels by the situation.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: He just is he just blew up a house and was like, Okay, fine, I'm out. That kid's mine. See ya. And because that's how it is. And and it's yeah. it's I kinda like that that I, I appreciate that more now of uh, redemption and growth arcs are not uh, full swing right away. You know, people are messy and, yeah. and they can it, they can get a new lesson. But it, it takes them a while to put that into practice. It takes them a while to truly absorb that.
0: Um, which also... Uh, rereading this and like it, it clicked to me. Because uh, eventually you'll find out that the kid, when the kid's born, um, he's named Daniel. And the biblical oh, reference of that, because I... Daniel's... Well, just specifically Daniel being in the Bible... The interpreter of dreams like that like that was right. that's his whole story his whole story in the bible is like uh there's these weird ass dreams like what is what do they mean and he's kind of like i don't know i, gu- I guess as close as you can get like a, a, a in in biblical stuff uh like being like the like a dream master of just like he, he knows what he understands dreams
1: Yeah, no, Um, I was just saying, oh, Daniel, I I recognize, I know who Daniel is, even though I, even though this is, like, this is as far as I've gotten into reading Sandman, and yet Daniel is, is, will still pop up throughout the DC universe, and I'm thinking of two particular instances. There's the Starro story in in Grant Morrison's JLA, which I Mm -hmm. love, but the first time I actually encountered Daniel was in scott snyder and greg uh, capullo's dark knight's metal sure where scott snyder was like i need to, i want to have daniel i'm gonna have daniel i'm gonna go talk to neil Gaiman. i'm gonna put daniel in this bombastic as hell comic where batman rides a dinosaur and the justice league form a giant mech and batman has a baby
2: uh, in super dark side.
0: Superman, has,
4: mm-hmm. <laughs> superman
0: has uh has chain chain gloves for like brass knuckles yeah yes at one point yeah. the uh the
4: comic
3: is incredible here here to just to these aren't thematic notes these are just fun publishing things um so when dream leaves uh there was supposed to be a blurb then what that actually after he says i have a previous engagement to go to neil had been enjoying having the next issue blurb be sort of a comment on what the next story would be rather than mm-hmm. just tell you the title of the next story.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: And production kind of hated that because it confused them. Uh, <laughs> so initially at the end of this, it was going to say next the previous engagement, but that wasn't the title of the next one. And either they were getting sick of it or they got confused again. Either way, they dropped it. And in oh. Neil was just after that, just figured like, okay, F it and, and stop with the next cover blurb jokes um yeah but then also uh another this wasn't them being annoyed but that just them screwing up a little bit if you read the original printing and and i think the first trade of um the preludes and nocturne issues uh when morpheus meets dr destiny john d and talks about the ruby and there's a brief two-panel flashback of morpheus creating the ruby from his being and then the next panel showing him wearing his helmet and holding the ruby and it's glowing red and neil wanted that that first image of dream ripping the ruby from his being creating it long long ago he noted in the in the scripting asking the artist and the colorist that this is young dream and so is pure white, including hair and, mm. and noting like this is how a newly minted dream looks. Um, but in that initial coloring of that first printing, and I think of the first trade uh, they sort of messed up where the whole panel's reddish because of the light of the Ruby. So it's only in later printings oh, yeah. of the first trade. That if you look, it is now a purely white Dream holding that ruby, which was an indicator of, of ideas Neil had already about what what's going to happen with Dream, what's going to happen with uh, uh, the boy that he, he knew would be named Daniel, but wasn't quite sure what his whole journey would be. Stuff like that. So yeah, just a couple interesting interesting things there that also have to do with this this storyline.
0: Yeah, that's that's interesting different seeds like he's planning Like even he doesn't know what it's going to grow into, but he's like right. okay, like I, like this is what this is what this should be for now. I don't know where it's going to lead.
3: Yeah. <laughs>
1: I'll get there eventually.
4: Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's, that is, that, that, uh... that
1: speaks to uh that speaks to like the the again the idea of letting the story lead him where where it needs to go.
3: Yeah. And and just planting enough of a seed that you're not locked into something, because mm-hmm. because having dream possibly have white hair when he was first born doesn't ever have to come up again, and mm-hmm. and or could mean a hundred different things. Um. I I know we were talking about Jack Kirby before, and I can definitely talk about Jack Kirby with this story, but I'm I'm curious, Nick, what you felt about uh reading the first the first half of this. West when we're encountering Hector Hall as as the colorful Sandman with his <laughs> cosmic whistle and 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 Glob at his side.
2: Right. Well, that's funny you say the first half because i that's actually how I did read this. I read the prologue up to the end of the Hector Hall stuff in one night and then well Hector Hall and uh, Men of Good Fortune and then the rest of the corinthian stuff another day um i i thought because i'm not familiar with hector hall as a character his run of sandman i thought that like this was the i thought him his, his him and his wife were related to uh jed and rose and the walker kincaid family because they mentioned that oh they split the father and wife split up and the father ended up Mm. dying so i thought oh this is him continue his continuation and this is him being seen as his kind of best self wanting to be a good person and helping people and helping his son out by giving him these pleasant dreams but he's being manipulated by these two nightmares like he doesn't know he's dead and his wife's saying like hey we've been here a while shouldn't i have had this baby right now it's like don't worry about it
0: <laughs> the stork got lost god i love that <laughs> explanation we,
2: it's yeah
3: it's it's uh <laughs> especially the the audio drama that they have on audible i i'm forgetting who plays hector but he does such a great sort of almost hanna Barbera Super Friends voice for Hector. Yeah. Of
0: That that's uh, that, it, tracks. that That's very much how he's drawn. That's very much how he's drawn too. Like I like I could I like I could hear that voice, that exact voice of yeah, like that Hanna-Barbera like, you know, don't, don't worry, honey, like. Yes,
3: yeah, so it's like I, I am dream protector of the dreams of children everywhere.
2: Like my mind um, my mind went to the very beginning of the Superman versus the Elite movie where they have that cartoon superman did for uh, charity yeah i imagine that voice <laughs> sure sorry, like, yeah. they'll see that crime doesn't it? yeah uh-huh.
1: also because we I, because it's been brought up we also have to just let all the listeners know if you haven't watched superman versus the authority or i'm sorry superman versus the elite please go watch that movie it's incredible they did they did a really I, yeah, good job
3: with that adaptation
0: yeah, I uh I have it on DVD myself. Uh it is one of my favorite Superman things. It's also um, it's
1: on it's currently on HBO Max. So at, y'all all go. y'all who are watching Peacemaker while I'm not, uh <laughs> you have no excuse. The um what? Another DC thing that came out I'm not watching. I know. I have all the time in the world
2: and
0: yet I'm not doing it. Pe-
2: they're, Peacemaker they're finally
0: they're finally halfway getting they're finally halfway getting their shit together in terms of just like letting. I just
2: finally finished <laughs> letting
0: good people write. Their I just shit.
2: finally finished the last three episodes of Doom Patrol season three. I've been living hanging for a while since it aired, <laughs> so got that under my belt. Now, guys, still have- not caught up.
0: <laughs> I I have two. I I need to like I need to get back to the Doom Patrol for whatever reason. Yeah, like I'm I'm only halfway through the season. I think oh. I'll
1: probably get get to Peacemaker first, just because there's what four episodes out now as yeah. of this recording. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I will. I will probably. In fact, I might watch the first episode once we get get on recording. Uh, watch the first two
2: episodes because the first episode's kind of half an episode.
0: Well, it's it, it's a pilot. It establishes everything. Like, okay, this is yeah. this is everybody. Um. But I yeah, it's I will uh watch
1: all four because I, <laughs> well want to destroy, got... I want to destroy my sleep schedule. In fact, am I going to sleep today? Yeah, probably not. I didn't sleep yesterday.
4: Okay, okay but no, that that's means you true. should slept, definitely sleep today.
1: Hours. I slept. I slept for two hours. I did, I'm I, I'm doing pretty. And the fact that I have that I cannot have caffeine, I think I'm doing pretty well.
0: Hmm. What type of tea is that then? Herbal.
1: Uh, It's a a mango green tea. Ooh.
0: No. Green tea. That's the (laughs) most caffeine. Yeah, wait a minute. Oh, is it? Of any
1: of the teas. Is it? Yes, it is. Well, cool. I'm (laughs) getting my caffeine. He takes a swig. No, no, they make Well, I normally get caffeine through soda, and I can't have soda right now.
3: Soda, Uh, I mean, you shouldn't have soda anyway. That's a whole mess of of problems. Um, But, uh... So You're right, so,
1: and yet I will ignore that once the once <laughs> next week comes along.
3: So, Nick, would you be surprised to know that it originally, when he was pitching Sandman as a series, uh, Neil Gaiman was going to use Hector, or at least not even Hector, but but this version of Sandman as the main character.
2: Oh, that that is surprising because I, I so, can't imagine it being any different without at least like oh, brief reference to wesley dodds like we got in the first issue
3: yeah the the uh so yeah we had wesley dodds in terms of sandman characters uh we had wesley dodds in the golden age um who just put people to sleep and left them little poems um about justice and and uh then later like when we did Sand in the Mystery Theater, we talked about um, uh, prophetic nightmares driving him and that he also left Origami. And it was a very, actually, interesting noir series that's unlike a lot of things DC's ever put out. Um, but then, yeah, Jack Kirby, when he came to DC, um, he was doing the New Gods Uh, back in the 1970s and they basically obligated him for hey you got to do at least like one issue of a couple other characters like make make effing characters for us so that leads to Etrigan the demon who's briefly referenced here at least his human half Mm -hmm. because uh Hobb recognizes that a guy named Jason Blood is also not aging um and uh and then it also led to a new version of Sandman, um, where Jack Kirby, as far as he was concerned, this was the mythical Sandman, and and it was again going into his idea of mythology and magic combined with science. Uh, so he now, just was this didn't...
1: the one that had the that had the gas mask and the fedora?
3: No, so that's the that's the Golden Age Sandman. That was Wesley Dodds okay. who who showed up yeah. in the nineteen uh, in nineteen thirty nine. He first showed up. Jack Kirby did take over for him for a short bit in the 40s, but he didn't give him like powers or anything. He just gave him basically Captain America's costume with like less decoration and just a purple yellow color scheme for some odd reason and gave him a sidekick, Sandy the Golden Boy. But otherwise, he just had a sleeping gas gun and a wire poon gun, which which was the grappling gun, but sounds dirtier. And uh um, Yeah <laughs> a Little bit. Yeah. Um So yeah, Joe Joe Simon and Jack Kirby took over that version of Sandman for a bit when DC at the time after we entered World War ii they they're like, Yeah, Sandman's cool, but he looks like a pulp character. So we need him to look like a superhero now. So Joe and Jack made him look more like a superhero and had him have a sidekick. Um but yeah, Wait, he
0: was this while they were was that while they were moonlighting like doing Captain America, but then moonlighting for DC until Stanley may or may not have ratted them out.
3: I think this was actually after that. I don't believe they were still moonlighting. I think it was pretty upfront that, uh, they were, they were, cause they were tackling lots of different characters at this time. Um, they were also doing, uh, the, the newsboy Legion guardian for DC. Um, so, uh, who also has a costume remarkably and suspiciously similar to Jack Kirby uh, Wesley Dodd's costume um, and in a shield suspiciously similar to Captain America's costume. Uh, Shields, rather. But uh, but yeah, in in that was the golden age, but then the 70s, Jack Kirby was like, you know, I like the name Sandman, so fine, I'll make a new Sandman for you and have this dude in gold and with a red cape who was meant to be the mythical Sandman who used magical tech to protect dreams and in that first story with protecting uh dreams of a little boy named uh jed and you saw that he could enter the physical world at least for a short time that he would come back into the dream world and he had two nightmares uh in his lab called brute and glob who occasionally were like like let us do a thing boss and he's like no it's not your jurisdiction and it He would go off and then the end's like all right i need your extra help and they would come and help and he ducked out after that first issue for the most part and then other artists continued on and and other writers continued on Uh, michael fleischer was the main writer it was only like half a dozen stories and uh almost all of which wound up using jed again and jed was just this boy who lived with his kindly santa claus looking grandfather in a lighthouse and uh It was just this like oddball, weird sci-fi fantasy series. And after six stories, just sort of dropped. And that was that. And then in the 80s, Roy Thomas, who, whether he's working for DC or Marvel, seems to have a memo to himself of, I can't let any B or C or D list character just exist without telling you what happened to them later. Or how they're connected Mm -hmm. to someone you didn't know they were connected to. So he brought that 70s Kirby Sandman back in a Wonder Woman issue. And sort of adulted him up a little bit. Because some people had criticized, like, that Jack Kirby 70s Sandman could have been cool if he wasn't quite so kid-friendly. Which in the 70s wasn't cool. We were, DC especially, was trying to go into more of a counterculture thing. Um, yeah. So he stood the, out. Yeah, as, Yeah, the
0: like, great, Green Arrow, Green Lantern book. Yeah, yeah.
3: Superman I was about to say, I was becoming... like looking <laughs> at you, Dinny O'Neill. <laughs> yeah, and and Superman was becoming a cosmic wanderer who was thinking, well, if I help too much, am I am I just becoming a benevolent dictator, um, and all that jazz? And and uh, so yeah, Roy Thomas sort of adulted him up almost in a bad way, where he's he was sort of like he he was hitting on Wonder Woman. And implying that he'd seen her dreams here and there in like this weirdly invasive way. Um, Also, Roy Thomas then gave an origin story saying that this this Sandman wasn't the mythical Sandman. There is no mythical Sandman. This was actually a dude named Garrett Sanford who had been part of an experiment to help the president when he was in a coma and attacked by a nightmare creature and so he made a device that sent him into the dream realm but now he was stuck there and could only exist physically for an hour at a time and but also he found these two nightmares Putin glob and blah 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 blah. and then he had him show up again in a justice league adventure or someone had him show up in justice league adventure and he was made sort of an honorary member but didn't accept full membership because again he can only exist for an hour a day physically and then uh roy thomas was writing infinity incorporated which was a teenage team of children and or protégés of the World War Team Justice Society. And Hector Hall was a member of that team as a living man named Silver Scarab. And Lita uh, Trevor was a member of that team as a daughter of the 1940s version of Wonder Woman. So she's named Hippolyta after her grandmother in that continuity. Oh. Wonder Woman's mom. Okay, so
0: that is a Okay, so that is a reference. Okay, I right. was wondering about that. So
3: then uh a couple of things happen. One, Hector, because of an an Egyptian curse, blah blah blah. There's an actual Silver Scarab spirit that takes over his body. He turns against the team, sacrifices his life to like destroy the spirit, but also kills himself in the process, and as he's dying, learns Lita's pregnant. Well, at least, you know, I live on through my child. Boom, he's dead. And at around the same time, the Crisis and Infinite Earths crossover happened, which rebooted parts of DC canon and had the Justice Society and Justice League now coexist in the same universe. And so part of the rewrite had to be, well, we only have the one Wonder Woman. We're not going to say that there was a a duplicate version of her existing in World War II. So Roy Thomas made up uh, a new comic book called Young All-Stars which retroactively introduced new heroes into DC's 1940s history each of whom was taking the place of a hero that now couldn't exist back then so mm-hmm. a new hero called Fury showed up whose name was Helena Kazmatos and, and later we find out she met the Amazons for a bit and met Hippolyta dah, dah, dah. but this was now said to be Lita uh Trevor's mother. So she was now the second Fury. She was now the daughter of this person. And the reason why she calls herself Lita Trevor is Helena vanished at one point. And so Lita was adopted by Joan Trevor, who was a, a different superhero um, during those days. So you have this character who's had that kind of weird canon and and who just went through this trauma. And then Roy Thomas also brought back Hector, now wearing the Sandman costume of the 1970s. It's like, well, what the hell is this? Didn't you die? And why are you Sandman now? And it was this, Infinity Incorporated was wrapping up. It was getting canceled soon. Like, the writing was on the wall. And Roy Thomas decided to sort of give Lita a happy ending in his mind. I actually always thought it was bizarre. But basically, Hector showed up and said, like, yeah, so I died. But instead of, like, going to wherever the hell I was going... Or reincarnating again, as people in my family are wont to do, um, I wound up in the dream dimension. And these two nightmares told me that there was this dude, Garrett Sanford, who used to protect dreams as Sandman. But he kind of, like, couldn't keep stable, and he got really inappropriate with Wonder Woman, and he just got more (laughs) unstable after that. And then he just offed himself. So... Like, they've recruited me to be the new Sandman. And da-da-da-da. And and Lita's like, well, can you come back? Like, no, I can only exist in the physical world for an hour at a time. And she's like, well, can I come with you? He's like, oh, my God, I guess you can. So they had a wedding, and everyone was there and all happy. And then they went off to live happily ever after in the dream dimension. And Infinity Incorporated ended a few months after that. And it was just like, okay, cool. I guess they're happy now. (laughs) And... A couple years later, literally just like two years later, Neil Gaiman does this story where it's like, you know, initially, like I said, he, when he pitched Sandman, he wanted to go back to that 1970s idea of this is literally the dream God. And he might be using a mixture of tech and magic, but he's literally the dream God. And DC said, no, um, Roy Thomas is doing a thing with that right now in Infinity Incorporated. So we don't know where that's going to land yet, but so you probably shouldn't touch him. Um, and and Neil Gaiman was suggesting these other things like, well, I can do Etrigan. No, Matt Wagner has got him. Like, how about the Newsboy Legion? No, we don't want kids in World War II. It it leads to a lot of problematic things. Like, well, how about eh, and like all these (laughs) other things? And finally, like, you know what? Just use the name Sandman. Like a few months later, like we're not going to use Sandman anymore. Like. That Hector Hall like apparently went off to live happily ever after so use the name Sandman just don't use Wesley Dodds the Golden Age character come up with your own Sandman and he did morph- and we got yeah, this and then morph- the later yes. decided like let's let's talk about if my sandman is the Sandman how do you explain Garrett Sanford and Hector Hall it came yeah. up with this idea of of Garrett and, and Hector were being lied to and manipulated by Bruton Glob, who were actually the masterminds behind this this whole thing. And isn't it weird that of those six stories in the 70s, only one or two of them didn't have Jed? Why is Jed always the center of these dreams? Yeah. Well, it's because it's a lie.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the... Oh God, I didn't realize there was that much, like backstory behind like his decisions to how to use these uh these characters the uh i mean the brood and glob are interesting mainly because uh they're trying to escape and they're just kind of like trying to do all these calculations like well can we get it you know like blah 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 like you know he's finally back and all this different stuff and it's like well can we do this no no, not really. He'll just he'll just do this, and they just kind of like shake their heads like, "Eh, we almost did it." It's like, "No, we didn't. We did yeah. not almost do it." <laughs> I love it. No, I we... love the
3: the the idea they had at one point of like we could kill the Foster father and hide in his skin. He wouldn't look there. He would. Yeah, he would. <laughs> yeah, it's he like would. there's <laughs> yeah. there's a lot to unpack from that, guys. <laughs> this yeah.
0: is yeah, yeah. this
1: yeah. is. Uh, pain and uh oh pain the little panic. demons from hercules pain <laughs> and panic yeah pain it. and panic <laughs> this is pain and that. panic talking about hades right now yeah. it's like can we do this like no Nick. he's gonna find out yeah he'd find out
2: i gotta say knowing that all that backstory exists now about hector hall it makes the fact that he is just brushed away by dream doesn't even get a chance to say goodbye realize exactly you get that little panel of him realizing, oh no, I've been dead the whole time and he doesn't but he doesn't really get to come to terms with that and it just makes dream Nope. Yeah. Just all the more uh, callous.
3: Yeah. 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 And and um Yeah, he 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 does get a happy ending of sorts later. Because they touched on his spirit again in Jeff John's run on Justice Society of America, JSA, um, which was like they started that about uh, eight years after Sayman wrapped up or, or five. I don't know, a few years. Um, so he did finally get like some form of a happier closure. But yeah, if if you were a DC reader of the past few years, and had known even just in passing uh, about Infinity Incorporated and Hector Hall and, and what had happened to him and all Uh, this was kind of shocking. This was an act of cruelty. Um, Even if dream is technically correct in what he's talking about. Um, Yeah. Yeah. This was, this was messed up. Uh, And, and uh, yeah. And then, and then the other hand, like if you were, um nerds who knew the the history and backstory it was fascinating to watch game and touch on because again like it's, it's not like you had the best of jack kirby trade out showing his run on the sandman from the 70s yeah so you had to be a bit more of a deep dive nerd to know what he was referencing and if you did know that and saw how he was weaving that into this new retcon tale it was both fascinating and possibly cruel but also again like i was talking about before this is the age of cruel revisions where we're told yeah plastic man is not funny because he's funny but because he's literally brain damaged and and where we're told like um the creeper is acting this way because during his first transformation he had heroin in his system so every time he becomes the creeper he's he's high on heroin again all these
0: Oh my god. Yeah, I hated
3: that reboot. They they did away with that a few years later. But I mean, this was this was the especially with The British Invasion where they're all coming off of the Margaret Thatcher um uh, uh administration and everything. Like there's this uh dystopian cynical deconstructionist view that that's permeating a lot of things even if they're arguing for hope in the end.
0: Yeah. Well, I I feel like also specifically Possibly the reason the British writers specifically were like that, uh, I think to a certain amount to to America's detriment, we have not had a war on our shores since, uh, well, I mean, from a foreign power since 1812, uh, right. but then also, but then even, even just any type of war was like 1864 was the civil war in the 1860s
4: mm-hmm.
0: so like psychologically we are just so far removed of like the cost of war and what it does and like uh gay and all of them like their parents are of the world war ii generation of just like seeing london get fucking destroyed like just absolutely obliterated and then you have the slipping slow slipping of the power of the the english empire uh as well just like just loss after loss after loss of like this colony is now like its own country because they just said fuck you like uh and like even if you agree with decolonialization like that is i I'd feel like we're kind of having that now Uh, in America of just like this feeling of our slipping of being the cultural superpower going away. Like the biggest shows on Netflix right now are Korean. Like they're they're South Korean. And I think that's like, that's fucking with some people. And I think it was, I think it was fucking with the English sensibility of like, we are English. We are like our empire. Always has the sun on it, like. Oh yeah. Uh, so yeah, it's uh, i I I'm wondering if that that pessimism is, is part of that too, of just like why exactly these specifically these British writers are doing doing all of that, uh, and the talented ones are doing it in a good way, like Alan Moore stuff, Grant Morrison stuff, Neil Gaiman stuff yeah. is all like s- still for the most part holds up. Uh, oh yeah,
3: tremendously, and and I mean I, I. I appreciated, Sandman, when I was a high schooler. But then as I got older and and was learning more about. All the characters he didn't make up, and that he brought into Sandman. But but, put such a touch on them you can't imagine those characters without him now. Uh, I became fascinated. Yeah. Because, like. Hector Hall as Sandman, like, I really can't go back to any of the Hector Hall comics and look at it without that lens now. Um, because frankly, it's more interesting anyway than you took over Mm -hmm. for a dude. We barely knew who then apparently committed suicide and, and you're just living it up in this weird dream dimension. Like to, to have it be this, um, you were a victim of your own fate, especially frankly for the, the character of Hector Hall was someone who was constantly, um, if you look back at his old comics, is a victim of constantly feeling like he's not living up to a legacy while trying too hard to live up to a legacy and carve out his own legacy. So there's sort of this tragic poetry to him ending this way mm-hmm. of thinking he's inherited a mantle that actually is meaningless, at least of how it applies to yeah. him. Um, But then also just there, like Alan Moore, Grant Morrison, Neil Gaiman in the, in the 80s, are weaving all these threads creating new mythologies of either of, of both their own characters and previously existing characters and making it as if that was always the world um mm-hmm. like the fact that Lucian the three witches Cain and Abel destiny yep and Eve uh who you only see briefly later in the series were all previously existing DC characters who were
0: host characters yeah, from their horror books. Yeah,
3: yeah, yeah, they were host characters of their anthologies. Uh, uh you had um Kane Kane was uh around issue uh what the hell issue was it? 175 uh took over for the the house of uh mystery and like you just saw him there like talking to gargoyles and and being all creepy and talking about himself as like as if he were your landlord you the you the reader and then Mm. uh not too long after that abel shows up in house of secrets uh where he's taking over this house where a ghost seems to be telling him he's the caretaker now and cain actually shows up giving him a little trash talk and uh before yeah. before abel starts launching into like oh but here's a story that'll show you i'm not afraid of cat you're afraid of cat yeah and abel keeps talking to someone called goldie who we don't see and
0: that yeah there's a little, there's a little. yeah like and we
3: never we never saw goldie until sandman and and yeah like lucian uh showed up in in um not Weird Mystery Tales. He was in... Oh, uh, no, he was in Weird Mystery Tales. He he was first in Weird Mystery Tales. He showed up there meeting Eve, who had taken over as the host there. And then he was the host of Tales of Ghost Castle. Um, mm-hmm. This weird-ass librarian who was telling these stories. And yeah. Weird Mystery Tales started off with Destiny. And then Eve became the the host. And then Destiny showed up in superman comics and in teen titans like giving strange cryptic warnings and occasionally breaking the fourth wall by staring at the audience and narrating while holding the comic book panels as if he were supporting the comic itself and 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 the three witches that they were literally from um the witching hour and that their introduction used to be like, it's midnight, uh, bong, it's the witching hour. And that's literally how they're introduced in preludes and nocturnes. It, like screaming the witching hour as the three of them appear. And when they appear in, uh, before Rose Walker, you can see a clock in between the panels behind them, sort of emulating that again. I'm just fascinated that yeah. he just took all these des- disparate characters who weren't even characters. they were They were ciphers. They were just, they were hosts and yeah weaved them into a world where not only do they coexist but of course they coexist of course these are all of course Lucian is in a library from where you can see the house of mystery and the house of secrets from the balcony and and of course Eve yeah. is in a cave over the hill looking over her two sons and and like it's 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 and i mean never even mind Matthew Cable who was a character in Swamp Thing from the beginning and then died, and like oh,
0: it, that's who Matthew. Oh, that's who Matthew is. Yes, the Matthew. Oh yeah, even. Matthew
3: Cable was introduced. Oh my god. As, yeah.
0: Holy crap.
3: <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I didn't. My mind I mean, just was a got spoiler, blown. <laughs> but yeah, they actually never talked about it in Sandman. Um, I don't think. But it, yeah, so in in you say never mentioned his last
0: name they just say i used to be a piece of shit human yeah he's matthew
3: he's matthew cable from from there there's a there's a brief reference this is not a spoiler for plot wise but in one of the last arcs of sandman um someone's offering matthew the raven a drink and he says no i i got off alcohol the hard way and a character there then quotes Alcohol, no. Uh, bravery. Bravery makes a man better, but not sober. Something like that, which is the line in Swamp Thing, right before Matthew Cable, while trying to save his wife Abby, drunkenly crashed his car, and in he he was introduced in Swamp Thing. Uh, at the beginning in Alec Holland's origin story. He was, a, he was a secret government agent who was looking over the project that would eventually became become Swamp Thing. He initially hunts Swamp Thing because he thinks that Swamp Thing killed Alec Holland or is somehow connected to the death. Later mm-hmm. realizes who Swamp Thing is. They become allies. Meets Abby Cable. Oh, meets Abigail Arcane, who then marries him, becomes Abby Cable. And then... In the 80s, when they brought back Swamp Thing, Rick Veitch. No, Marty Pasco. Marty Pasco first takes over the book and had us learn that Matthew Cable has become an alcoholic since we last saw him, and he and Abby are sort of on the rocks. Also, uh, villains who were trying to get rid of Cable's knowledge um, subjected him to this electroshock therapy, which has sort of traumatized him and unlocked this power, blah, blah, blah. Then Alan Moore took over the book. And did his revisionist take on Swamp Thing, which then became so so uh, uh, groundbreaking and inspirational for many people. His best comic. And in, yeah, and in, and in that run, Matthew Cable uh, is is brought near death in that car crash. And then is inhabited, possessed by the villain Anton Arcane, um, who was later finally defeated. But Matthew Cable ends up in a coma. and And Abby falls in love with Swamp Thing, blah, blah, blah. A couple years later, after the series Sandman had begun, while Preludes and Nocturnes was still showing up on shelves. Matthew Cable, um, whose body is basically emaciated and who's, who's sort of been harvested by corrupt doctors for organs, um, finally regains... Mm-hmm. An, I, it's the 80s. Uh, finally, finally regains <laughs> enough consciousness to bring about his own death and release. But then we saw him traveling through this strange realm where morpheus is there and and morpheus explains this is not the other realms this is the dreaming and sort of implies that matthew doesn't have to necessarily go to those other realms and matthew feels at peace and it just ends there and doesn't tell you what that conversation leads to but then about two months later there's a raven in sandman named Matthew, who talks suspiciously like Matthew Cable.
0: Yeah.
1: Which is now okay. going to be sounding like Patton Oswalt pretty soon. Yeah. I yeah.
2: I look yep. up what Matthew yeah. I, I, I'm so, I'm so I excited. Do, I
0: do love that was the first, that was the first dude they called when they were, when they were casting. Nege it was like, we're calling Patton for, for Matthew. It's <laughs> It's perfect.
3: It's perfect, and I'm I'm also jealous because man, that's a that's also a role I would love to have. I would love to. I love playing those kind of characters when I've when I've done stage work. I would I would love yeah. to just get to voice an acerbic raven uh, in in a weird. I, fantasy And the fact story. that you
1: get to be on like the list of like you're the first person they call. I, I would just be like as yeah. if I was Pat would be just be like, I mean. I can't believe I'm on. I'm like you know, like I figured I'd be on a list. I just didn't know it'd be a good list.
3: No, and what? Yeah, it's what a well-deserving human I, being. I also, yeah,
0: yeah. I I also love that uh, Patton Oswalt. Twenty twenty one was a good good time to be Patton Oswalt because then you also you had the Matthew the Raven announcement, but then uh, Book of Boba Fett comes out and the first shot. Is his exact description from that uh from that rant he did? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it is like yeah, it's like word for word. Like there's so many compilations of like cutting together like what he's saying and then the shot of uh uh, that that opening shot in Book of Boba Fett. (laughs) It's just like uh, you, you know you know he's he was happy this year uh with all that different stuff. Uh, listener,
2: yeah. I just posted a picture of Matthew Cable from Swamp Thing yep. the comics. I'm just There's trying to our little picture that boy. as Patton Oswalt.
1: <laughs> There's our little drunk boy. Uh, so we've 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 discussed a lot of the re, re, really the first half of this story. We have not delved into the second half, uh, which yeah, deals with it, the collectors convention. Yeah, um, which, the which convention, which,
2: but, which I'm kicking myself for not picking yeah, yeah. up on earlier. <laughs>
1: I know. I'm mad at myself too. Yeah, Cuz yeah. that was like, like, Neil,
2: right
0: before issue, before, like right issue
2: before issue 5 where Rose and what's the name Gilbert? Gilbert.
0: Gilbert. Hmm. Yeah. Fiddler's Green. Yeah, when they're checking in,
2: you can see a list of names for their for their for the hotel and you can see like the Corinthian is written in perfect cursive on like the guest list.
0: Yeah. Uh, before we move on into more detail of the of the serial convention, because I feel like that's another uh, bit to to dig into um, is uh, i feel like especially like with with this first half with like all the stuff we've been talking about shows the the brilliance of the first issue, uh, uh the very very first issue, saying man, because it's like okay so you have the golden age and all that different stuff so like before the golden age happened you had uh morpheus get captured mm-hmm. so he is out of the game until 1989 and like that's kind of why you have these characters kind of doing what they're doing because like the the king is gone you know like the and they're just kind of Playing around and like doing whatever they want to do, um, some of them are kind of doing their jobs continuously, like like Lucian. Uh, but yeah, so it's just like I think that I think that's one of the reasons why, like, that's a brilliant pilot, if you will, because it is just kind of like, all right, so here's what happened. Here's why this guy has been gone. He shows back up, and then this is how he's gonna bring back the existing world to kind of like how it was originally or like a version of like what used to be before he he went away um
1: he's coming in and just and, be uh, like, you screwed everything up it's now yeah. i'm gonna have to come back in here and clean up the mess
3: yeah it's mm-hmm. it's a great it's a great bit of world building because neil could have gone the route of he's always been here. You just didn't know it. And instead decided, well, no, if he's always been here, like there are too many cosmically aware characters in DC. There's the phantom stranger. There's the specter. There's Mm -hmm. Etrigan, the demon. uh, There's the various incarnations of Merlin. Someone should have been bringing this guy up or, or calling on him in some scenarios of the many crossovers that have now happened in the DC universe so instead of saying he was here and he just didn't take an interest or had a rule or something it's no he's he was supposed to be here but a thing yep. happened and mm-hmm. he was in a he was in a cage and now he's out so we can both we're we're not throwing out previous canon but we're now we also have an opportunity to change the rules of how certain yep. things in our universe work and it's incredibly clever. It's incredibly well, well done. Um,
0: uh, yeah, especially using especially using real life events. Yes, uh, like I don't like I don't think a lot of people realize that the sleeping sickness was a thing. We a still don't know what thing. the fuck caused it. Yeah, we still don't know what the hell caused it. Like just people just went to sleep uh there's a robin williams movie about it with uh, robert de niro called awakenings, awakenings. oh my god I love yeah
3: him. so that uh, that movie hadn't come out yet but neil had read the book it was based on
1: yeah
3: the and, Le- and was it leo Sachs? Mm-hmm. i think it was leo
1: Sachs
0: who wrote that book
3: i think so yeah um
0: and uh it well then he also does that in this in this collection in terms of history of like all the different, uh, 89 years, like all those different little markers, if you look yeah. for them, like if you know those events, um, like n- nothing, nothing is throw away, uh, exactly. Um, so as such, nothing being throw away, Charles Manson shows up for a panel mm-hmm. <laughs> at the serial convention, uh, instead of a swastika, he just has a cross on his on his forehead. But yeah, like that's just Charles Manson. The uh, yeah, the serial
3: convention is a fascinating uh, thing, and and uh, it's it's also funny to me because um, Neil Gaiman talked about that he he came up with the idea in nineteen eighty eight at the World Fantasy Convention in London. Uh-huh and it was about Mm. 1 or 2 a.m. at the bar, and he was watching all the...
0: Of course, of course it was. The writers
3: (laughs) sitting together in, like, little clumps. And he said, and this is a quote, um, and he realized, a convention is just a bunch of disparate people getting together for a long weekend to feel special. Mm. And so he thought about putting a twist on that, like, what are people who would have conventions that you would be terrified if they had conventions or be or just find that so strange and, and either absurd or horrific and eventually came to the idea of a serial killer convention and in this 88 80, 89 that he's thinking about this and we hadn't quite reached the um height of serial killer fetishization that natural born killers comments on, and that recently became a topic of discussion again with yeah uh, certain miniseries and movies about folks like uh, Ted Bundy and such. Or, or, or yeah, because uh, this was like
1: this yeah. was like right smack in between. Richard Ramirez has gone to prison, and Silence of the Lambs coming out.
3: Right, right. So we hadn't yet gone into the the mainstream idea of serial, serial killers can be quite exciting and sexy. But it was coming up on that cusp and, and Neil was already aware that there were serial killer fanzines uh, happening. And, and so thought there was something to tap into that. And then joked that he was really scared for the next 14 months of, well, I'm not going to be able to, to bring this into comics for at least you know 12 to 14 months. I hope no one comes up with that idea before me. And, and uses it, yeah. and unfortunately no one did. Um, but then also, just to just to piggyback on what I was talking about earlier, about that he's weaving all these things in the DC Universe. Because Vertigo, as an imprint, doesn't exist yet. So the idea was yeah. still, although this is weird and so different in atmosphere than superhero comics, this still exists in the DC Universe. Um, mm-hmm. And so, like other DC Universe comics, he, he felt he should reference other things going on. So... Someone mentions the, the bogeyman and it's mentioned, oh, he died in, in Louisiana. Uh, that did happen a couple years before in Swamp Thing 44, which was a crisis crossover. There was a serial killer called the bogeyman who sees Swamp Thing, believes in his delusion that Swamp Thing is his replacement as this great killer of humanity, um, tries to escape and, and basically drowns in the swamp. And Swamp Thing himself is kind of unaware of this whole thing happening. And, uh, and the family man, <laughs> who they're hoping will be their guest of honor and doesn't show up. Well, that's because at that time he was fighting John Constantine in Hellblazer. And he had first appeared in Hellblazer 22. Um, and then a couple months after this storyline wraps up in Sandman, he's, he dies. Um, and is killed by by John holding a gun and another guy, Samuel, forcing John's gun to fire um, after he had killed John's father. And and so Family Man is this serial killer over in England that's dealing with Constantine. Um, So you have those two links to the wider DC universe. And also that was sort of a hint for any comic book fans who are also reading Swamp Thing. When this guy shows up saying that he's Bogeyman, if you read Swamp Thing, you could say, no, you're effing not. And you would know before the other characters, yeah, this guy's a phony. Um, and, and, uh, and, yeah, and, and, and also, like, just, just along with that, Funland was supposed to be called Disneyland.
4: And was supposed to have yeah. Mickey Mouse ears
3: yeah. rather than wolf ears. But then DC Ooh, got yeah. got very scared at the end. and was like, maybe we should change that. And, and Neil was like, "Yeah, fine, give him fine. wolf ears and it'll go with the Red Riding Hood thing.
0: Yeah. It's well it's also still pretty obvious, like yeah. what he's actually supposed to be. Um Yeah, he's uh especially like which is a little bit terrifying. And they even made like a gorilla horror movie kind of based around that where it's just like this idea of like, oh the happiest place on earth, like but as such, if anything bad happens they don't want you to know. So like they will use all of their power to keep it quiet
1: is that the um, escape from tomorrow movie
0: that i always see i sounds right. think so uh yeah but like they they gorilla shot a lot of that in in disney world uh which is a hilarious prospect um he also what i like about the serial convention he also does kind of this commentary of like the psychologies of these types of people yeah um so you have uh the religion panel at the serial convention where charles manson is screaming i am a merciful god and a just god for i've released men and women and children from the suffering and torment of their lives and i give them a new life in my heaven and then this guy in in a suit and tie and uh, Neat Haircut says, uh, As a born-again Christian, I want to diso- disassociate myself with this madman. I do the bidding of the Lord. I wash their robes and make them white in the blood of the Lamb. With my hammer, with my love. See, the, see, the brown
2: hair threw me off. I didn't think Charles Manson. I thought Adam uh, Alan Moore.
0: Uh, well, it's the... the- <laughs> It's the X, which like, cause, yeah. uh, cause he gave himself that that not, that swastika right. tattoo on his forehead, so like that's that's what did it for me. Yeah. Um, that, but then you also just have. This,
2: just reading the panel for for the first time in a while, I thought this is a surreal. Like, like I like to picture, I like to give voices the characters I'm reading in comics, so it's very surreal watching this Al, mm. Al Moore guy sitting next to this Rush Limbaugh looking motherfucker.
3: <laughs> <laughs> oh God! What a conversation that would be!
1: Oh, be Lord terrifying! Be. It'd just be Alan Moore yelling at him, like, "Mate, you're dead. Get the fuck on!"
3: Yeah, I I feel like Alan Moore would be just so dismissive of him, um, yeah, in the most entertaining way.
0: Yeah, exactly. I, I would like, actually yeah, that, pay yeah, money that to would see that. just be fun to watch. Yeah, the,
1: <laughs> but you but you know uh, that it it would go to like some charity because Alan Moore would be like, "I'm not taking money from this."
3: yeah the the Charles Manson bit where he's making those claims that justification. I mean one, like you said, it's it's a great look at the psychology of justification that uh, such a killer must have in order to um,
4: hmm.
3: not condemn themselves essentially. Uh, there's actually one of my favorite Doctor Who episode uh, moments is the ninth doctor pointing out a similar thing to an enemy of his. When they're talking about no, oh, but I'm complicated because you know I, I could have killed this other person the other day and I didn't. I let her go. Like I have mercy. And and the Ninth Doctor just says like that that doesn't prove anything. Like that's just how you justify things because occasionally you let someone go and you tell yourself that, that means that you're complicated and you're nice. And is that and that's, not
0: like the the the, Peg, that's not the Simon Pegg? That's not the Simon Pegg to me. Is no,
3: it? it's it's Boomtown um which is i want to say the 11th episode yeah it's the 11th episode of season one
2: that's the episode where they have okay. dinner in a nice restaurant but are always trying to yes. kill each other yeah that's a great thing
0: yeah oh yeah oh that's right that's right yeah, yeah. okay no no yeah. not it's a delightful
3: not episode um eccleston's, yeah, eccleston's yeah, yeah. brilliant i'm glad that he's doing audio dramas again um yeah
1: the but you mentioning that remind makes me think like the, it's uh, that's he then ha- like Gaiman then has like a refutation of that later with the Corinthian go- uh and the other two killing the fake bogeyman and him right. saying like, you know, like, we're like, we don't kill to kill for religion. We don't kill for this or that. We kill to kill. And that's all. Yeah. And that's all there is to it.
3: Yeah. It's, it's an interesting thing. Um, because you, you've got, well, also quickly before I forget it, uh, the Charles Manson thing. Well, another thing that it reminds me of. There's a great book called Mindhunter by John Douglas, who was one of the early profilers of the FBI. Yep, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> Literally had that my bookshelf right yeah. next to me. <laughs> now, did you Did you get to where he interviewed Manson?
1: No, I'm very. I'm still very early on. I think I'm. Uh, he's like he's about to actually like start really interviewing people.
3: Okay, so. There's, there's a bit where he talks about when he met Charles Manson that at one point he was asking him, um, what's the deal with you not taking direct action? You, you had your, your posse, your cultists do things for you. Mm-hmm. You were there. You were leading the charge. You were giving direct orders. But what was it that kept you from just picking up a knife or a gun and doing it yourself? And... As he described it, like basically Manson looked at him like he was an idiot and, and brought up that he, Manson, was on parole at the time and wasn't going to violate his parole. And that sort of banal uh, uh, stickler for the rules while you're inciting murder is that twisted yeah, it's horrific
0: thing. murders too. Yeah. Like,
3: yeah, absolutely. It, it's, it's, it's something that I find reflective quite effectively in the writing for the shield convention. But I also find it great that Neil is not himself um, glorifying any of these people. Cause by having it in a convention, yeah. by having it in a not great hotel with, yeah. you know, no decoration, Just tables and people sitting next to each other, not necessarily wanting to sit next to each other, never going to anywhere more exciting than the hotel bar and how they're talking Mm -hmm. about things and the topics they're choosing to talk about. It's really showing you like these aren't sexy, interesting people. They are so banal They're So you've got the guy who calls himself Nimrod after the biblical hunter Mm -hmm. and who likes to picture himself as that. And he's scared to death. His joke won't land. And yeah. and it's just like this is a great commentary. It's it's, it's presenting what in another author's hands would have been um, a a absurdist, glorious violence scenario, a true horror scenario, and it keeps the horror while also demystifying it and and showing like yeah. these guys are schmucks.
0: Yeah, it, yeah, it, it, I yeah, because you have uh, the kind of thesis for that bit is said by dream which is um and you you that call yourselves collectors until now you have sustained fantasies in which you are the maltreated heroes of your own stories comforting daydreams in which ultimately you are shown to be in the right no more for all of you the dream is over i have taken it away for this is my judgment on you: that you shall know at all times and forever exactly what you are, and you shall know just how little that means. God, you're is such a good writer.
3: Nick, you look like you have something to say.
2: Uh, um, uh, I've just been holding on to this about how, like, how I didn't pick up that. Serial convention. I didn't pick up on the obvious pun. Like at the very beginning, when we are at the convention, and we see people like dressed up, kind of plainly, kind of like, um, and like sort of bondage, sort of village people gear. I thought is serial like an '80s gay slang term. But then <laughs> we
4: got <laughs> to the more violent <laughs> stuff. It's like,
2: oh fuck me, serial. I get it yeah yeah
1: yeah that would honestly be very interesting if it was
0: <laughs> yeah
3: um no, yeah definitely be just just in another like random trivia note, um originally Neil, Neil didn't have a lot of censorship issues, um but occasionally someone was saying, mm, no, and uh for instance, actually, at the beginning of this storyline. When, uh, back to the Nada short story, um, who, who hopes to love Dream, then finds out he's one of the Endless and rejects him. Um, when yeah. she's going through this whole thing where one of, her, one of her strategies to make herself less desirable is to, to break her hymen. Um, initially, the reaction of the young man who's hearing this story for the first time was that he would grab his own groin out of sympathy pain. And and they said, no, nope, because it looks like that's a different reaction. Uh, <laughs> and they're like, oh, okay, fair enough, fair enough. And so, so they yeah. dropped that. But then another thing they dropped from this storyline is initially uh, there was a, a bit in the serial killer convention where one of the panelists is talking to another panelist briefly talks about masturbation and then starts talking about pulse racing and everything and he realized that the pulse is racing because of killing and that to this person that neil neil was trying to set up a dichotomy of to this person like masturbation is a mechanical thing that actually has no real appeal whereas killing is where excitement and intimacy comes from and karen berger uh who was the editor of sandman and, and basically became the spearhead of vertigo uh wrote neil uh a note which has been given to different writers in different forms over the years of dc uh but in this case was worded people don't masturbate in the dc universe and so like they, they doesn't give head.
4: <laughs>
3: and i and i just thought to myself like well that does explain some of the villains doesn't it um yeah <laughs> there's a reason why batman's
1: going out every night he can't stay in (laughs) Mm -hmm.
3: but uh but yeah it's it's such a wild um story and and i i find it i find it both more and less horrific than the 24 hours in the diner chapter of Preludes and nocturnes because i will (laughs) sometimes i will skim that chapter
0: yeah yeah no i it's yeah i did too yeah this this past time because i've already read it like two or three times it's like no, not
3: yeah, I've, I don't need it. Yeah. <laughs> as I've gotten older, I've gotten a little more sensitive. Um, I definitely more easily cry at movies now. And one of the things is also like I can acknowledge that, you know, I get what you're doing, but I don't necessarily have to be a participant in certain forms of, of violence and yeah. literature. Nothing against you writing about it. That's fine. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just going to press fast forward or skim through the pages a little bit. <laughs> That's, well, that's kind of my yeah. deal, but I don't do that for the serial killer convention for the most part. I actually find it just, maybe because they're making it so banal, uh, I find it easier to digest. Yeah, yeah. I,
0: I, I also eventually want to uh, read, um, I forget her name, but she was at the, she was a reporter for the New Yorker at the um, Nuremberg Trials. Oh. And, she, and her... And her collection, her collection of of articles, it was turned into a book called The Banality of Evil, uh, which is like she's just sitting up there watching these Nazis get put on trial. And just so many, like so many of them, it's just like, uh, you know, like I was, you know, a bookkeeper just like moving stuff around, which is people's lives, you know, like. um, Her name was Hannah Arendt. Penna rent. Thank you. Thank you JD. Um, yeah, cuz it, it banality is the evil is very banal. Every like it it just is. It's not uh, the 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 mustache twisting. I mean, cuz you kind of see that even in with with um with the 24-hour issue. Right. The 24-hour diner issue cuz he he he, like they're just playthings to him he's just kind of bored and just wants to see what he can do with this terrible power so he's just kind of like blah, 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 like and then just does whatever he can think of to him which is you know horrific torture
4: mm-hmm.
3: yeah the the movies make you think that true evil is going to sound like dr doom or hannibal lecter and usually half the time it sounds like um roy Cohn. Or Donald Trump and it's it's mm-hmm. a very different feel. I mean, speaking to that, we haven't talked about the Corinthian who who is both incredibly enticing as an evil villain, but then I think his ending again drives the point home of you're not special.
0: Yeah. Yeah, like yeah, like you're this big bad thing who's like been kind of built up uh for this entire storyline and like uh and then morpheus um, just just,
1: smacks him down
0: yeah like gilbert sees him in the and like it's just like just just shaking and terrified and like um and like because he's first mentioned i think in no, no, it's it is this beginning of this one where he's like listing off the dreams that are missing. So it's like yeah, Bruten Glob, uh, Bruten Glob, Fiddler's Green, and the Corinthian are all missing. And he and uh and he's kind of like Dream is kind of worried about about all of them. He's like, well, I don't know why Fiddler's Green is missing but like you know he's just kind of probably doing whatever i'm still mad but like i'm not worried about what he's doing really. right yeah he's actually uh, he's uh,
1: actually worried about the corinthian
0: he's like i like yeah that's yeah. like i created
1: that as like the nightmare for of humanity the I black yeah. Yeah, the what mirror go- yeah yeah it's like i don't know what uh, he's what what the corinthian going to do so that's kind of a priority
0: <laughs> yeah and then he, and then like when he finally does find the corinthian uh, he, the Corinthian kind like is in the middle of his, his speech. Cause he's the, the keys, the keynote speaker for this convention. He's like, he's the big draw, right? We got the Corinthian. Uh, and he, um, is giving his speech. Sees Dream just sit down in the audience. He's like, you know, go, <laughs> Dream is just in the audience. Like, okay, go on. <laughs> just go. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and like a disappointed um, teacher it's like oh no was i interrupting i'm
1: sorry continue please yeah
0: yeah yeah and so uh and then um eventually dream is like stands up it's like all right bullshit i call bullshit on all of that like (laughs) uh and he starts to walk up to the corinthian and like the corinthian like starts to puff himself up like oh like it i'll show you takes takes his knife Stabs dream through Dream's hand, uh, which I mean, of course, like Dream technically has a body, but like not really. (laughs) Uh, So like, it doesn't really affect him. It's just like there's a knife through his hand. That's it. Yeah, you're stabbing. No blood or anything. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so then Dream just melts him, and it's like, all right, I'm gonna I'm gonna start over with you, and just melt him down into this little like, uh, like this little skull charm with uh the the signature uh mouth eyes
1: <laughs> i'm just thinking of like has. the corinthian just like, he, he literally has the, the 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 mentality of like why are you order? and then it is like no stop i'm
2: just I'm <laughs> yeah. not
1: having this today
2: Like i have exactly. dealt with a lot of
1: shit today and you're not adding to the pile
2: <laughs> yeah it seems like his eye yeah it's it like, seems like the corinthian's eyes were too big for his stomach <laughs> <laughs>
1: listeners Nick just, he took off his glasses and then he put them back on david caruso from yeah. and from csi yeah. miami style and yep. even though i really hate all of the puns that david caruso did that was incredible <laughs> and listeners oh, i'm well so played. i am so sorry yeah. that oh, that, that you all missed this visual it was incredible
0: bravo
3: the so here's, here's a fun thing. The, the, the guys who wrote Men in Black, the movie, uh, years back wrote a spec script for Sandman movie, um, which Neil pretty much liked. And I, and I read a copy. It was pretty good. Um, and it was going to be a combination of Preludes and Nocturnes and Doll's House. Where uh, Dr. Destiny was not going to be in it, but instead the Corinthian gets a hold of the Ruby. And so there actually is more of a showdown at the end. Um, Oh, yeah. And Rose Walker is introduced directly to Dream earlier. And so through her is how we, the audience, get to know certain information about the Endless and the Dreaming and da 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 da.
5: And also we meet the Endless.
3: Yeah. And also we we never meet the three witches instead dream stands in the hall and calls on the other endless and they give the vague answers of where his items of power are. And therefore you introduce them for sequels to explore them further. Um, Yeah. And it's one of those things where it's not a bad idea at the same time. Now that I'm older and especially now rereading this, I, again, I kind of love that there is no showdown cuz screw the corinthian it's, yeah. it's you're supposed yeah, to be a dark they're... uh mirror of humanity you're supposed to be a reflection of how bad humanity can get and you're you know how not special you are there's a convention of people like you
0: yeah yeah exactly this is all Yeah cuz like even yeah yeah cuz it's like yeah cuz like everyone's kind of doing what he's doing like yeah like he has a a, a literal nightmarish shtick where like he plucks out people's eyes and then eats them uh i don't know if he puts them in his main mouth or if he puts them in his eye mouths like i don't i don't know which i don't want to think about that
3: just from the pov shots uh, in some of those panels i i personally believed it was the eye mouths um yeah. yeah, you're right. He looks like a Clive Barker character. He looks like he could be a Cenobite, a particularly a yep. like, pretty-looking Cenobite. Um, and especially after the first arc, Preludes and Nocturnes, you are expecting some kind of showdown. And Neil hmm. kicked the expectations again. Uh, he kicked the legs out from under the table because the first story arc is superhero structure, superhero quest tale, because we yep. gotta lure you in. Now, oh, we're selling enough that we can actually do the series? Okay. We're doing a different thing, folks. And and there yep. is no showdown because this kind of evil is not sexy.
2: You think because Well,
0: I mean even the showdown even the showdown with with, with uh with Destiny is eventually anticlimactic. Yeah. Because it's like it's it's it, like it, you get the impression that a dream is kind of messing with him after a certain point. Mm -hmm. It doesn't make him think he's doing something. It is like, no, not really. Um, Nick, I was going to say, do you think because the
2: Corinthian looks kind of like a centibite, that's why Clive Barker did the introduction for volume two? I mean, that, that could possibly be it. I mean, Clive, Clive
3: and Neil are friends. Um, so so that, that was also part of it. There was actually, so here's another fun bit. The Threshold, uh, the, the mm-hmm. actual
0: oh, yeah.
3: house doll that uh, Desire lives inside, is originally an idea or based on idea that Clive was going to use in a short story he was writing, which was going to have Neil Gaiman as a character in it. And it <laughs> never came to fruition uh, but they talked about it and he was going to call it The Threshold and and Neil was coming up with his desire story and said, can I use that? And Clive was like, go go for it, man. Um, now all I but yeah, is I mean, also, to like, write
1: that as a movie and have Neil Gaiman in it.
3: <laughs> you know, but also yeah, actually, like yeah, if, if anyone gonna... else is going to write about a serial killer convention, in my brain immediately I would go to Clive Barker. So I, I think it's entirely just appropriate that both as a friend of, of Neil's and as someone who this this feels like it's it's got a bit of a bit of clive's flavor in the story mm-hmm. that it, it's so appropriate that this that he wrote the introduction i have a story.
1: feeling now that you mentioned that they were friends it definitely feels as though that they, they might he like get, neil might have like sent these these his script pages to clive barker and be like hey what do you think and clive barker might have been just like add this in there change this up
0: add, could have easily add, add happened too it, it, it makes a lot of uh, I, sense. It, it's also interesting. Well, because I, I I didn't know that he was he was friends with with uh with the Hellraiser guy, but it, it's I don't know. It's also an interesting bit in terms of, of terms of Gaiman of like he is f- clearly fans of other writers' work, and he like oh, yeah. and if he does, he'll put his own spin on it. Um, I mean, because also like probably his. The most famous example of that for Neil would be his team up with his friend Terry Pratchett for Good Omens, um, yeah, which we'll be covering, which we'll be covering soonish. Um, where Good Omens, their entire because this is before they were Sir Terry Pratchett and Neil Gaiman, like they were just kind of like, I right, we're we're working writers, uh, and like we vibe. So like we're just gonna make each other laugh like that was the, that was their goal yeah yeah for and good I mean, opens. They,
3: they met because Neil was a was a journalist who wanted to be a writer and interviewed Terry a few times and they just hit it off and and suspiciously this was a time when Terry tended to dress in a lot of white outfits and Neil tended to dress in a lot of black outfits um, <laughs> yep <laughs> it's it's, uh, it's rather delightful but yeah I mean even even the next um, Issues after this storyline, uh, there's the issue where, uh, without spoiling the actual plot, but but there's a muse. Uh, there's an author who's using a muse to to enhance his career, and yeah. a journalist at one point yeah. says to the author, um, who is now rising and becoming a producer and director of his own work. Uh, you know, people have compared you to such uh, artisans as Clive Barker, and I was like, that's cute, Neil. That's nice. You
4: know, you know. <laughs> quick yeah. quick
1: side quick side tangent for about five seconds. i w I'm fairly certain I know the answer to this, but have any of you watched Nightbreed?
3: Oh yeah.
0: I have not Clive Barker's X Men heard yeah. about it, I believe. Yeah. <laughs> I own it. I've not
2: watched it yet.
0: <gasps> oh look, it's a look here's
1: the thing. We have a movie that Clive Barker made and it stars oh. David Cronenberg. I mean, it's perfect. It's kind of perfect, and not only does it yeah. star David Cronenberg, it stars David Cronenberg as me. Kind of mild spoiler, as a masked serial killer, and his mask is fucking terrifying.
0: Yeah.
1: If I still, ha- if I could still have nightmares, that mask would fill
0: my nightmares. What What'd you do to fuck with Morpheus? Where you? T- <laughs> You don't have nightmares. This isn't sleep. You don't have... (laughs) That's true. Yeah. No, we did earlier establish that, so that is true. (laughs) Yeah, we did. No, I
1: honestly... I don't know. The last time I had a nightmare, I was... I want to say about... This is a... And this is a weird story. It was about three years old. The last nightmare I can remember having that I was actually scared of was... I was at an amusement park with my parents... And there was like a one of those water rides that you get into, like like a like a water log ride that you get into a thing and you go on the water. Uh-huh. They fell into the water, and the water had crocodiles in it or alligators or whatever and ate them alive. And I had that Wait. at three years old. A few months later, they got divorced.
4: <laughs>
1: Since then, I haven't had a nightmare, or I have had nightmares, but I'm not scared of them at all. It's more of just. Oh, that's a really cool story.
4: Yeah, I, like I get that because,
1: like my my dreams are my dreams are get fucking weird. I still remember, uh, I, I I barely remember any of my dreams. One I remember was like it reminded me kind of uh, if if y'all have seen it, uh, the ritual. It's just like it, like my memory of it is, it, I I am someone sitting at like the base of a large tree, in a mm. gray forest. And I look up, and there is some type of cre like demonic-looking creature, uh, like woodland creature that crawls around the tree, menacingly toward me. And then I woke up, and I was like, "Oh, that's a cool story. I should write that." And that, and like, I, uh, that's my reaction instead of like, "What the fuck did I just see?"
0: It's it's interesting. Like you're talking about like the the last nightmare that scared you. Um, mine. I've I've only had one. I say repeating dream. I I know I had it twice. Uh, also kind of theme park related. Uh, there's this like, this like giant tower of like, like of this fun house thing. It's just like really, this is really weird. Me and my dad are on this open circular elevator and we hit the ground floor and like, we're trying to get out. Like there's this I don't know exactly why, but like, we need to, we need to get out of here. And then my dad is just like, oh, uh, what? uh I was like, oh, uh, there's Sean, my older brother. He's like, there's Sean, let's get him. And then I say, no, that's not Sean. <laughs> I jump on his torso, rip his head off. And then there's a giant D battery in his chest cavity. And then a bunch of other robot Sean's. <laughs> <laughs> come in and then dream ends Cliffhanger. <laughs> that is twilight zone
1: that is the twilight zone you entered the twilight yeah. zone
0: <laughs> I, I don't know i don't know what the fuck i had i'm sure freud I have would my, have a I hell have of have a time my, with that one i don't have my tux
1: or my cigarettes right now but if i if mm-hmm. i did i would go full rod sterling right now
2: uh, my, my most i mean yeah. <clears throat> Go for it, Nick. I was going to say, my most repeated nightmares usually involve my teeth shattering or I'm back in college and it's the end of the semester, but I missed the entire class for the semester. Oh no, what am I going to do? My most recent nightmare I had last night was where I ended up having to move unexpectedly to Pennsylvania, but the apartment I I go to is an exact replica of the apartment I live in right now, and all I can think about is, what about my job? Does that mean I have a job set up in pennsylvania i just kind of quit out of nowhere then i wake up
3: that's so real that in a nightmare you're concerned about your financial standing <laughs> that's God. that's such a real and i'm not yeah, mocking you at tr- all that's such a real thing yeah. <laughs> like that's i actually, honestly, yeah
1: that, like that like that's a true nightmare that that's is honestly true terrifying. Yeah.
3: i i i used to have terrible anxiety dreams here and there not not usually but for the past i'd say starting in in uh i don't know 2009 which around was the same time that i just stopped listening to some of my instincts and went down like not terrible paths but paths that just weren't my best self or the best things for me to do and yeah amazingly at the same time for some reason i was having a lot of anxiety dreams here and there who knew um after a couple of years of therapy and EMDR last year, uh, which is fantastic, um, I now am in a place where like I'll have anxiety dreams, but they only affect me so much. And when I wake up, I do not take that anxiety with me. I'm just more annoyed of like, really, you're still bothered by this brain? What the hell's wrong with you? Like we we graduated college, man. Like what? Because I will still have that yeah. like. Oh God! It's it's the chemistry exam, and I didn't do the thing. It's like, really, that's why am it. I still having that? I'm 40. I still have
1: high school dreams.
3: Yeah, constantly. Yeah. Oh, I've and definitely the- had a few high school dreams. I'm just like, what? Well, why? Yeah. It's it's mm-hmm. so. But but I wake up feeling like you're just dumb, which I I'm so happy because that's a much more empowering thing than like carrying that anxiety of like, oh, you are shit. Bleah. But
4: yeah, well, no, I also brain, find stop out this...
3: Yeah, I also find all this like just a perfect segue to um, the whole. The whole last bit is where we get more surreal again. We leave the sort of real dangers of the serial convention. We go to Rose accidentally invading the dreams of her of her housemates, and then finding herself in the dream with Morpheus and bringing up Freud literally and the symbolism of yep. things and and sort of just meaning it as a lark, but actually she's in a situation where the symbol is the literal truth. And, and yeah. that's exactly what has her in danger now.
0: Yeah. It's, uh, yeah. So like to, to kind of wrap things up, cause we are approaching the two hour mark. <laughs> um, good. They,
4: <laughs> good. Um, good. we need to, we need to have, a th- uh, we, we need
1: to have a three hour episode under our belts at some point.
0: Oh, Lord, a passage. Um, so, uh, yeah, so the, the impetus of, of what's revealed, so, like, uh, well, it, Well, to go back to Overture, um, that Overture is referenced. Yes. When he says, um, a long, long time ago, I let a vortex, uh, go wild, and a world died. Um, so, like, I now kill Vortexes, because otherwise things are going to get fucked up. I don't know why y'all show up, but you do. So, and he, he continually apologizes, like, I'm sorry. sorry. Sorry, I have to kill you. And she's just like, shut the hell up and do it, <laughs> if you're going to do it. Um, but then her grandmother, who is the woman in the first issue that, um... Was one of the sleeping victims and had a baby in her, in her sleep. Um, that's her, that's Rose's grandmother. Unity Kincaid. Like, yeah, Unity Kincaid. So like her mother, it was that baby. Yeah. That was born while her mom was, while uh, her grandmother was asleep. So, uh, Unity shows up in the dream. In reality, she's very sick and like she's in her nineties at this point. Um, so, in her dream, she shows up as, like, how we see her in the uh, first issue. Like, young, brown-haired, and, and all that different stuff. And she's, like... And Rose is, like, wait, I know you? And she's, like, oh, yeah, I'm your grandmother. I guess I don't, I don't look, look like this more. now. <laughs> like... um, And she... And uh, Unity is, like... I was supposed to be the Vortex. So, like, Rose... The part of you that's the Vortex reach inside, and she does. She just, like, reaches into her chest and just pulls it out and gives it to her grandmother so that Dream can do his job and kill the Vortex while being able to save uh, Rose's life. Is And the reason that that's a very good thing, apparently, as we find out in the uh, epilogue, Reason that's a very good thing is because it turns out Rose's grandfather is destiny, <laughs> and there's desire. a hard and fast r- desire. Excuse me, I don't know why. but in my head. I've been doing that the entire time. It's like in my head, just what I call him destiny. They're all desire.
1: Ds. So we're gonna get them mixed up all the time. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Them, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, desire. Yeah, well, it.
3: He, she,
0: they. Yeah, he, she, they. It. It's just, like, whatever. Yeah, which
3: it's, um, is, is something that they did update in the audio drama to, from It to They. Which, I mean, it makes... It's, it's 1989. We weren't, like, up on yeah,
4: the... Yeah, well, that it's was the, vocabulary, yeah. 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 Yeah, and It wasn't widely... It's, exactly. it's, also, not even,
2: it's yeah. also not even Dream who kills the vortex. Unity snaps the... Like, what Rose gives Unity is, like, a glass-shaped, like, little Valentine's Day heart. And she breaks it in half. Mm-hmm. And that ties back into which the prologue, also... which going back to mm. when how there's concerns about oh is volume two going to be Lucifer is going to be does Dream go to hell again? Which reading that I thought that was I thought this was going to be the story of how Lucifer to Hell, but with the mm. two uh, African tribemen, and like the younger one goes get a glass heart from the old civilization is like oh that kind of ties in everything together yeah and with the epilogue and how unity says like oh there was a ring i gave you i actually reread chapter one and how desire was playing with a ring then later on when we're in the uh unity's house we see unity Either give Rose a ring or Rose pick up a ring that belongs to Unity. It's like, oh, this, like, right? It, this pays off. It's always nice when stories pay off from rereads. I mean, it's yeah. literally yeah. the ring
3: comes full circle.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, but yes, so we find out that uh, desire is the grandparent the other grandparent for uh rose and so then like the implication is like dream is like all right you wanted me to kill one of our bloodline because like that's a big 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 no-no for the endless to uh they can't like do violence against each other um and so it was like, yeah, like you tried you tried to make me accidentally kill one of our bloodline. Uh and is just kinda like, eh, it didn't work anyway. So like, whatever. <laughs> like, doesn't care that it that it uh didn't work or not. Um just wanted to have fun, but also like a hundred year plan funds, <laughs> like uh, in terms of the, the payoff of of that those shenanigans um yeah and
3: so yeah it go ahead yeah i was gonna say it's it's also it's it's such an interesting payoff because again it's it's not this is not a superhero structure there is not going to be a showdown um mm-hmm. or even really a punishment uh it's the the showdown is dream speaking a truth that he's coming to understand Uh, and which Desire still isn't ready to hear. And, Mm -hmm. I mean, we talk about, this is the storyline where Neil Gaiman found his footing with the series. Uh, He later pointed out either, either heart as an abstract concept or a literal heart of some form shows up in just about every story of Sandman. Um, Hmm. And this really starts that ball rolling and cementing that uh, where we we begin with a woman who wants to share her heart, wants to give her heart to Dream, realizes then the consequence of that and so closes her heart off. Um, Dream hardens his heart by condemning her for this rejection. Uh, which yeah. we first saw a, a glimmer of in, in Preludes and Nocturnes when he's in hell we yeah. we then have constantly characters dealing with heartbreak or empathy or a lack of empathy throughout the storyline and how that affects all of them the Corinthian that's that's an old 17th century uh, slang for essentially devil may care um, so it doesn't keep anything in his heart um, and then we end with, uh, a grandmother, um, offering, like taking, taking on the literal heart, the vortex thing, but in so doing is showing her heart to the grandchild who she doesn't know they've, they've just yeah. met, but
0: like literally like two months ago. Yeah. <laughs>
3: and, and they've only met like at this point, maybe twice, but it's her granddaughter. It's family, and therefore unquestioningly, I will sacrifice what little time I have left. I, who have been cheated of a lifetime, will still sacrifice yeah. my life to be shorter for you.
0: Yeah, cause like, yeah, cause like even earlier, like when they first meet, and she's like, "Hey, the reason I uh paid for your trip to England for you to come meet me is guess what? <laughs> I'm your I'm your matriarch. Um, surprise." But also, like and she says, because uh, Rose is twenty, twenty one, twenty two, and uh, Unity says, like in a weird way, you are older than me. Like I have only yeah. been, like quote unquote, alive for like seventeen years. Yeah. But am in a ninety year old body. Yeah,
3: but she's she's willing to take on the burden of that heart and break her own heart, literally, and break the lifeline she has. So again, how great that we we start this. Rose's quest begins with the three witches who who are mm-hmm. in Gaiman's canon another version of the fates and her thread is cut her life is cut right there by her own choice for the sake of a grandchild she does not know and could easily resent but there's no resentment here it's just love and and leads dream to to then offer some empathy he he abandoned Jed earlier after blowing up the goddamn house and taking <laughs> yeah. out Hector. But here it's like after seeing it's not even Rose's sacrifice, but he sees the love between Rose and the grandmother unity and is inspired to basically say, like, Okay, you know what? I'm I'm gonna do you a solid, like Jed's gonna be fine.
0: Yeah. And which by the way, we yeah. did not we did not cover. The house blows up uh Jed of course pieces out of that rubble sure uh and then like ends up on the side of a highway and the corinthian picks him up and locks him in the truck. yeah and he's in the uh, trunk of the corinthian for a long
3: time
1: and eventually gilbert it, finds
0: him
3: it, it, yeah i mean just and gilbert uh, and also gilbert
1: does return as uh yeah oh my god and, and gilbert does return yeah. to the dreaming as Fiddler's Green because because dream is, dream is like look I mean, it's 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 the old parent thing of i'm not mad i'm just disappointed
0: yep exactly yeah and it, it, it's just yeah cause... go ahead go ahead uh well yeah i would just yeah because like the yeah that disappointment where he's just like you were so reliable like you know it's like you were you were steadfast you were like uh but then also like the idea that a place and then dreaming also has consciousness to just like pick itself up, give itself a body and then just walk around the earth and has love and
3: has love. Like again, this, this whole, this is a love story, strangely. Um, and it's by the way, so Gilbert, the human body of Fiddler's green is modeled after, uh, GK Chesterton, who, um, along with being a friend and rival of George Bernard Shaw, friendly rival, um, was the author of uh, several essays arguing for the the goodness of the Christian faith, even if it can be corrupted by others, and uh, created the Father Brown detective character. Um, and he was also known as a Prince of Paradox, and he's, he's a favorite author of Neil Gaiman's, so right there, like we have Prince of Paradox is Gilbert, where he is both a place and a person, where he he, as a place, should just be essentially decoration, especially in the dreaming, where there's no literal grass being grown. But mm-hmm. he's he's so much more than that, and he has love. He actually has more love and empathy than dream uh, expresses to others. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's such a, a lovely thing there. And then we end in the heart of a doll's house, of a house doll, with desire who takes such great pride in existing and living in the hearts of humans, but thinks they're in charge and, and dismisses their feelings as well. And it's, it's such as, yeah, it's a beautiful, it's a beautifully constructed story. And like I said, like I I appreciate it more now as I'm older, because I just appreciate that those themes of love, I appreciate that. um, Again, there is a constant idea of, growth and self-awareness in that it's messy and it's not immediate but you can grow. Dream is showing he has the potential to grow now and that his experiences of imprisonment have changed him but that wasn't enough. He's still on the journey but he is taking that journey. He is acknowledging the love between Unity and Rose and is reaching out to Jed to help him and reaching out to Rose to sort of help her. And Rose right now is a little bit closed off but makes her choice to leave the room and open up her heart to her brother and, and her mother again. And she will start opening up her heart more for better or worse as when we, when we see her again. And, and again, Jake, GK Chesterton being Malfur Gilbert, like one of the ideas of father Brown mysteries is that father Brown, when he finds the culprit of the murders or whatever crimes happened, always gives them a choice and a chance that, you can redeem yourself right now. Like he's not actually interested in like I'm. I caught you, Mother Trucker. Like, and and you're gonna yeah. be condemned. Like, hey, like let's talk about why you did this. And like I really like you to understand why what you did was harmful. And I really want you there's to be a good person here. And and so for that to be the model, like, I, it's not a coincidence.
0: There's a, um... is there a TV show adaptation with? Um, yeah, the father uh, from.
1: from her, yeah, Arthur, yeah, Arthur yeah, Weasley yeah, i Yeah, Blanking on his name. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: Arthur Weasley. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's yeah. delightful. The, yeah, the, uh, my my mom has watched that, so like, uh, it, it's interesting that it's uh, I I yeah I didn't know that those were books or like um, yes, or the model or like the writer was a model for for Gilbert. Learn learn something every day. Yeah,
2: Mark Williams. I have to look into uh, Father Brown now. <laughs>
3: Yeah, it's it's a delightful. It's very much sort of in in the vein of an Agatha Christie mystery, but I just find it. Um, and it's got like he's in a small town, so you've got like the local police who get very flustered that the priest keeps showing them up. Murder. And and you, murder,
0: murder. She wrote type vibes. Yeah, exactly. There's
3: a lot of murder. She wrote type vibes. There's there's a woman. There are a couple of women who do not get along, but each of them tries to help Father Brown his mysteries and stuff. But yeah, there is something really lovely. The fact that every time he confronts a killer, he really reaches out to them, and he's reaching out to them with love and empathy. Of I don't condone what you did, but you are a human being, and I'm if you want to acknowledge this, if you want to grow from this, let me help you. And I don't find it that that sort of the man who created such a character is by chance the model for Gilbert in a story where Hobb tells dream people don't change in the important ways but dream is changing and yeah. rose is growing and jed is getting past his trauma and, and again like as a 40 year old dude i find that such a relief of like oh yeah like man if, if morpheus can get his freaking act together after two billion years like i can i can keep on growing i can keep on getting through shit like okay cool
0: well, and it'll also be interesting of like, to see as we go along, him grow, but then also like, sometimes, I've read like the first half to three quarters of this series a while ago. I've never finished it, finished it.
4: Um,
0: <sighs> I know, I know, yeah, it is. Well, that's also, that's also a reason when... Uh, JD was like, "Hey, you want to start a old game podcast?" Like, well, we would cover same man, so yeah, yeah. So I can finally finish it, <laughs> um, because I know kind of the implication of his eventual uh end at the end of the series mm. is kind of like all the shit we see him do in the past before he gets locked up finally catches up with him, and like that's what then causes him to have to uh die (laughs) at the very very end um and uh so it'll yeah it it will be interesting to see that journey because like which also is like especially with someone as good of a writer as neil gaiman that's also why i personally don't care about spoilers it's like okay i know dream dies at the end i know he's then replaced by daniel but like let's see that journey and like different threads, he's weaving, and it and it both um,
3: is and isn't more complicated than that, which is typical yeah. of a dream. Um, yeah, but yeah, it's it's again like he he had an ending in mind, but he let the stories guide him about how he got there, and I think you can tell that, um, and and especially now, like again with being older and having more experiences i love revisiting the series because i feel like i can see neil's journey as a writer um i can see the anxieties i understand that he's dealing with writer's block later and that that you can see that feed into some of the stories um and uh yeah it's i mean he even barbie's dream here in this storyline with the characters martin ten bones and the cartoonish yeah, and, characters, the
0: cuckoos. So yeah, and the cuckoos are mentioned. And...
3: Yeah, he Neil was ar- originally going to get into that pretty quickly, uh, but the mm. story he had in mind, he then read a book, um, by Jonathan Carroll, or John Carroll, um, which seemed pretty similar, and he thought, well, damn, guess it won't do that story. And so he just sort of put that away and then he he met Carol at a, a convention or award ceremony or something. They talked. And he was saying, I really loved your book, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, I was a little miffed that I can't do my story now because we were touching on the same themes and had a couple of the same ideas. Da, da, da. And Carol pointed out to Gaiman, something that must be pointed out to all of us creatives at times, like, but the point of the writer or the, of the artist is to present something familiar as something new. And just like, write mm-hmm. your story, because your story is not going to be my story, even if we even if we have yep. the same premise, like you're going to do your story there. And there's no way I could have written your story. And so Neil does that story later in the run, but he does do it. And it, it becomes very significant uh, for a lot of fans for different reasons that I won't get into here. Um, but yep. Yeah, I, I it, it's a uh, things like that. I think make it such a joy to revisit uh this series and I do find it personally a timeless series. I don't feel it's mm-hmm. dated um like I do some comics or novels or movies. Um and I know everyone here has like started it and not finished the series. So I am I am curious like rereading this second part like like Nick what do you feel like after rereading this second part?
2: Yeah, I'm really getting in I'm really like I read it a long time ago but I feel that right now it is just I'm re- I don't think my opinion on it has changed since I read it but mm-hmm. I'm really I'm still very much vibing with it uh, as far as not feeling dated I think the one argument you can make uh, how it might be dated a little bit is like the like there is that one bit about the one serial killer who says they only ever killed eight people, and and it's like he's he's a murderer of like pre-op trans people, but then again, it's like mm. it's like it wasn't kind. Like the '80s weren't kind of LGBTQ plus, and it's only now just getting a little bit better. But people are still like it's still rough, but in different ways. Am I making any
0: sense well, at all? Well, I also... Well, yeah, no, like, in... There's maybe certain framings, like, I'm, like, yeah, like, there is a lot of violence against, uh, of this day, uh, disproportionately against, uh, specifically trans people. Not even just, like, speaking of LGBTQ people in general, but, like, specifically trans people yes. is, like, an ungodly high rate yeah. of violence, um... And, I like, it's with the whole thing of, like, you are definitely not... Like, you definitely have no threads of, like, sympathy or understanding for these murderers. And, like, for me, it was, like, fucking chilling. Because, like, I know that that motherfucker is real. Like, I know that that dude has existed. And that was horrifying. Um, And especially with, like, the... Uh, with bar with we'll we'll see with barbie's friend uh wanda later yeah. like yes. you were talking yeah i think like i
2: stopped that, reading yeah, that after the volume that had wanda in it
0: yeah um which i mean that that has a uh which that also has its critics which like again fair but i think like anything Gaiman, when Gaiman writes about something, he's been thinking and studying about it for a while. He doesn't just put shit in there to put shit in there. Um, that's why he was able to write a Nazi boys and not get a bunch of shit for it. (laughs) Like this, this, uh, this English Jew, this white English Jew writing about an African God. (laughs) Like, um, and, uh, yeah, it's um, it's, I mean, yeah, like there's there's like we were talking about like the term it, uh, you know, because like yeah, they had not been adopted into the vocabulary yet in terms of non-binary people, which, uh, desire is very specifically supposed to be, or uh, we're not even non-binary, gender fluid of yeah. just like whatever, like whatever desire feels like today that's what desire is like um so it's there's it's it's interesting because i mean because neil is still alive like how he would have changed maybe certain things or certain vocabulary or the framing of certain scenes um would uh i mean it's interesting thought experiment oh sure i Um, mean
3: he he's he said himself when he's left some stories alone for years and then like found his son one of his children looking at it and he looks over at himself like years later he's occasionally gone wow that's fucked up um and and, i mean and i mean any any story is a photograph of the kind of writer you were then Mm -hmm.
0: Uh, yeah
3: and you evolve after that um uh just just briefly because because it has to do with what I was talking earlier and it'll literally only take 30 seconds. Um, okay. So that script I talked about earlier made by the folks who did the men in blacks uh, adaptation uh, at the time when they were trying to see if they could get it made into a movie, the guy who would make one of those big decisions was producer John Peters, <laughs> who is the same dude who told Kevin Smith, okay, we're going to do a Superman movie with a giant mechanical spider uh, but he can't fly in no costume because that's gay. Um, and and like crap like that. John Peters, uh, according to the screenwriters later, they were like, we, we really couldn't get him to understand just the concept of death as a person. So that was one yep. hurdle. And then among the other hurdles, he thought it just was too drab, And wouldn't bring in enough audiences, and especially he was thinking, well, comic audiences should be younger and such, probably. So instead of having a bunch of old men in some lair calling for death and accidentally capturing Dream, again, he couldn't understand how you could capture death. So that was already weird. But then, like, just it's a bunch of old cultists who capture Dream and and just have him in prison for a while, and then once he escapes, you never see the cultists again. He argued like to really make it a good like widespread movie and especially to make it a good date movie, maybe make it more of a dramedy and have it be that there's a sweet 16 party sl- slumber party happening and they oh, break God. out the Ouija board and they're trying to get like the man of their dreams and they accidentally capture dream. And then the oh, story Mr. takes Sandman. off from there. And so I want you just to consider that whatever is happening in any adaptation to follow, at least it's not this. So whatever criticisms you or the listeners have about anything, always remember there was a dude who had power in Hollywood and still has some power who thought, this is the Sandman movie I want to see. This will work. Ouija uh, board, Sandman, that, That's the same.
0: I it's the 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 hearing about different producers in Hollywood, like Kevin Feige, right? From my impression of Kevin Kev Feige, of course, I'll I'll probably never meet the man. He actually likes the original stories. Oh, he
3: loves right? comics. Like, like
0: he is, yeah. Like like he is a fan of comics. It's like okay, so like I know there's a difference in medium. I know I need to maybe retool some stuff, but like I, I love these stories. I'm gonna get the best people i can to to make these movies and he's fucking fantastic at it he's like but then you have like well speaking of marvel i forget his name but like that weirdly mysterious guy there's only like one picture known picture of him in existence that yeah oh yeah it's like like he was the reason for a long time we didn't get black panther we didn't get black widow we didn't, didn't get any fantastic four guys.
1: comics for a long time because of him
0: yeah yeah, well yeah because we, we, we brought up uh, were uh in, big in,
2: or trying to make yeah. big
0: well no the death of the inhumans i'm pretty sure he was the one that it was the impetus for that because he's like what well, the inhumans are like kind of similar to the two similar to the x-men and we want to like bring up the x-men so like <laughs> just kill, well just actually kill the Inhumans.
1: Well well actually no. That's that's not actually true. What happened was is that um the Inhumans show was coming out and they wanted to have some buzz and Joe Quesada threw that to Donnie Cates and was like, How about you do the Inhumans? And and Donnie Cates was like, No, I don't know what I would do with the Inhumans. And they kept throwing it back to and then eventually it's like, Okay, you can do literally whatever you want on the Inhumans and he's like, Okay what I want to do is simplify The Inhumans because, you know, for our Western audience, The Inhumans is a very difficult property to get into. And the yeah. closest we've gotten is that Paul Jenkins run during Marvel Knights because just about everything during Marvel Knights was made to be accessible. And so he went into the Marvel picture meeting. No one knew what he was doing. It like And it wasn't called Death of the Inhumans. It was just called... It was just an Inhuman story. He comes in and he goes... I want to do John Wick in space. And then stops talking to, and to, so that everyone can figure out what he means. <laughs> and it was Dan Slott who went, John Wick? What, no. No! You cannot kill Lockjaw. And then the room exploded. And everyone's yelling at him. <laughs> and, he, and Except for Jason Aaron, who's sitting back going like, that's tight. That's cool. And then eventually Joe Quesada goes like, hey, whoa, hold up. The last time this room reacted this way was when we did Wolverine's origin, and that went really well. That went really well for us. So yeah. I vote the dog dies, yeah. <laughs> and that is how we got Death of the Inhumans. No,
2: Lord. Didn't John Wickenspace space be more is... like the Silver Surfer?
1: I mean, he did do Silver Surfer later.
2: Mm.
0: Yeah, and I, that was a very my... good
1: Silver Surfer. series. everyone, please go read Silver
0: Surfer. But just read Donny Cage's uh, stories. He's a good I... writer. Uh, I still think the best pitch in Hollywood was, apparently, James Cameron literally did this.
1: Was it Alien? He wanted
0: to do, yeah, yeah, he wanted (laughs) to do the sequel to Alien, and so he goes into the room, writes Alien on the board, and then it's like, dramatically looks at him, and then he just writes an S on the end of it, and then he looks back at him, and then just Puts a line through it to make the S money side.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Isn't the best? I love that story so much. I've
3: I've heard that story's apocryphal, but it's a great story because it just it rings true no matter what.
1: It is yeah. it is very <laughs> much a James Cameron move of just like yeah. I have made the Terminator, I have blown up the world, and now I'm coming mm-hmm. in here to blow up your franchise.
0: Yeah, yeah. I did. Uh, was was Aliens before or after T two? Before.
2: Yeah. Like T two was like
0: 91. It was before T two. Okay. Yeah, aliens. Was yeah, it's
2: 86. like ninety one, ninety two. Yeah,
1: it was
3: yeah. after T one, okay. so he he snuck in a reference, but before T two.
1: Also, after, uh, lest we forget that the Terminator was not James Cameron's first movie; it was in fact Piranha two.
0: Yep. Oh God.
1: <laughs> Never forget Piranha two, that
0: that, awfully weird thing. Speaking speaking of Sandman, uh, my cat Sandy has now climbed into my lap. Smoke has stopped talking. She came in. She came over here a
1: second ago, and I, I have a feeling now that I've invoked her name, she's just going to pop out and just be like, "Oh, you've mentioned yep. me. I'm going to yell during your recording." My cat once again. My cats have yep. thankfully
2: not bugged me at
0: all this recording. well <laughs> uh, let's uh, let's keep that. Uh... I guess let's make that that uh knock on wood true and wrap this up because we are approaching two and a half hours approximately. Ooh, that's it uh, yeah yeah, it's yeah, we could probably do' cause, I mean we spent about thirty forty five minutes talking off mic before we hit record anyway, so like we could probably go for another couple hours um, but yeah, it's there's especially this volume, there's a bunch to dig into. Uh, most definitely, in terms of um, the the groundwork laid for the future, the kind of uh, sophomore finding your footing-ness um, of, uh, of the entire thing. Um, we've already kind of established there's like four or five, if not more, storylines just like, the first seeds are all planted in this, um, plus just like really good uh, one-off issues like, um, "Men of Good Fortune." Yes, yeah, like is probably my favorite single issue of Sandman that I've read. And again, um,
3: cementing the themes of like he's he's switching between male and female narratives. He's bringing up mm. heart as an abstract and as a literal idea repeatedly coming through the stories. He's bringing up people who look at people as things to play with or consume versus those who can't help but be inspired by them. And that includes writers like Shakespeare, who sort of does both as they'll explore later. Um, mm-hmm. it's, it's about storytelling and how we consume stories. And that really comes into focus here more than the previous story arc.
0: Yeah. Uh I, I also, it just kind of, the, the, we were talking about like the literal symbolism, like it's not even like symbolism, it's just like, this is literally it, um, where, uh, I just think of that, uh, that gif, where it's like, I know writers who use subtle, to who, who use, uh, subtext, they're cowards.
4: Garth <laughs> Marenghi
1: Garth Marenghi <laughs> is, was eventually going to make his way onto this podcast at some point. It was an, it was inevitable.
0: Yeah. <laughs> just, they're all cowards. Um, Uh, but yeah, uh, Nick, thank you for coming on again. Mm -hmm. Um, Alan, thank you so much for, uh, uh, coming on. Like I said, we got, we got, uh, listeners, if you enjoyed this episode, stay tuned. Uh, we have some, some other great stuff with Alan coming up as well, as well as like the continuing adventures of, uh, mine, Nick and JD's adventures through, Sandman to eventually finally get through this fourteen volume epic. Uh, um we'll get there. We'll get there. <laughs> eventually. Uh eventually. So yeah, uh catch you in two weeks. Uh I don't have to listen in front of me, fuck. What is the next episode? <laughs> uh next
1: episode we are discussing Norse mythology.
0: That's right. Okay. So that, yeah, a, that's audio
1: on the can. With a yeah, with a new yeah. with a with a brand new guest. Uh, as always, we're not going to say who it is, but we I will say that he is a certain scruffy man of steel who likes to take mm-hmm. another pass at things.
0: <laughs> that's Everyone knows fan- who he fantastic. is. Alan fantastic. Alan is looking at me like I know. I know what you're talking <laughs> yeah. about. Yes, I. It sounds
3: suspiciously like someone I went to high school with.
1: Yeah, yeah i was about to say <laughs> uh, so uh so that that being said uh so take so yeah we'll have north mythology out in two weeks uh and before we leave uh it's you know since we have guests we, we, we'd love to have some plugs so alan this is your first time how about you do your plugs first what do you got going on
3: uh i'm working on a couple of projects right now um that unfortunately I can't really talk about like one, one is definitely going to be a podcast project. So I'm I'm going to be jumping back into the podcast sphere um, in a, in a different way than how I did before. So it's very exciting for me on that end. Uh, And uh, uh, you can find uh, a couple of the books I wrote, like a trivia book on Spider-Man and the unofficial trivia challenge on Batman on Amazon. You can also find my doctor who a history on Amazon, um, I'm hoping I can convince which, someone to let me update that for the next anniversary. We'll see. Um,
0: uh, which, which, uh, which, with our, our current plans, uh, listeners all, definitely ought to check out the the Doctor Who uh, a history book. It was it was with, uh, very
3: fun putting that together. Um, foreshadowing. Yep. And uh, yeah, other than that, uh, I don't have of my own uh projects to plug so i i would suggest uh there are so many other projects out there to to look at there's this podcast there's another pass there's comic quest i would suggest that um there's the infinity podcast uh if you've not seen it uh watch cobra kai um it's absurdly yeah. entertaining yeah. it is to, to, to me being a Peruvian American it is very much like a telenovela with karate <laughs> and <Yeah. laughs> the true spiritual sequel that Karate Kid and Karate Kid 2 deserved um yeah it's that
0: that show that show is way better than it has 80 goddamn right to be it,
3: it makes me so She's... angry how much I care about it um it's 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 so well done and uh uh yeah also uh only murders in the building is fantastic and is oh, actually fa- yeah, filmed oh. in a really interesting way and uh if like me you you occasionally have some imposter syndrome or some like uh another year has gone by what am i doing uh watch tick tick boom
0: <laughs> yeah a, a friend of mine was talking about it was uh very so he's a painter himself uh Actually, right now is a has a show up in New York, um, but uh, yeah, it's he, he was talking similar about tick tick boom, which I the way he described it and the way you just described it, I was like, I probably should, but also I don't want to, <laughs> don't, don't want that to be emotionally destroyed. Oh as, yeah, uh, it there there it, are
3: anxieties of mine that were just very much thrown back in my face, but I. I feel that the overall victory and the energy of put behind those anxieties um, o- uh, counteracts them being a defeatist thing and is more like turn that into fuel. Um, yeah. And Andrew Garfield learned how to sing for this. That bastard, that <laughs> talented bastard, once again, <laughs> making us cry.
2: Climb his way back.
1: Man, I want to go Take- for a show on him and just, and just
0: kiss him on the mouth just tick 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 boom tick tick boom and then uh spider-man no way home it's just like if i mean yeah. like just 2021 be, was the year re- of rewoke yeah yeah rewoke people to andrew garfield but like when i saw hacksaw ridge and then um hacksaw ridge and then uh silence yeah like those, so are, those are both amazing I, movies I,
3: I don't care for half of how hacksaw ridge is directed but but andrew mm-hmm is amazing in it and was the perfect choice for that and just is stellar and everything like he does he,
0: yeah like the 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 scene like the i guess like the the main scene of like why the movie is so uh was written about this amazing story was like yeah when he keeps going back and he says yeah. lord please just one more yeah god please just one more yeah
3: amazing uh, amazing Amazing stuff, and Uh, uh, like, yeah, his his performance in Angels in America and everything. So seeing him uh, finally recognized as a good Spider-Man, even if his movies weren't the best, he was good. He was an amazing Spider-Man. Yeah, Um, he's amazing in Tick-Tick Boom. He's he's inspirational as a person and as a performer. And uh, yeah, it's it's it's. uh, I definitely recommend uh, Tick-Tick Boom to. I, like I said, it's gonna hit your anxieties. Mm-hmm. Um, so if if you're in the middle of a project right now, yeah, finish right. the project first. But yeah. overall, <laughs> I, I actually do find it um, inspirational and and uh, and lovely. And it's yeah, it's an it's an incredible uh, time for him, and which mm-hmm. which I find gives me
2: hope yeah. uh, for different things. Bring Andrew back for Venom Three. Yeah, that's
1: yes please we all know that's where it happens we all know that's where it happens
0: i just uh, and also
1: rhino bring back paul giamatti as rhino
3: Uh, maybe not oh that i would adore no
1: yes
0: no nick no No. he was fun he He was was fun. okay
3: (laughs) i would adore that that absolutely. Is. All right. Speaking, Wait, no, speaking
2: no, no. Bring, of Nick, Nick, bring, what have you got going bring on? Bring Paul Giamatti back for the Craven movie they're doing, so we can have a Russian hunter going after a Russian prey. Hmm. Also acceptable. There you go. Yeah, I- I'll take yeah, there
3: that. <laughs> Nick,
1: what have you got going on?
2: Um, I have not been on there for a while, but I'm on Reddit at m y c k o u n t. Where I usually post musings like here's how this change would fix this, so maybe I'll go back there for the future. I'm also a frequent guest collaborator on podcasts such as Defending Your Movie or the Film Rescue Show, where I talk about um, line movies either in a positive way or talk about how they can also be fixed. And if you just want to hit me up on Discord, I'm uh, Nick Wolf, N NIC, I capital N I C space capital W O L F E. Hashtag 0760, and you can just talk to me about, like, uh, general things. Like, uh, I couldn't organically bring this up on the podcast right now, but I have thoughts on, like, does the Corinthian in this panel kind of look like Eric Roberts?
0: Uh, well, hey, well, speaking of Discord, Nick is pretty active in the certain POV Discord, the Comics Quest Discord, um... So yeah, uh, definitely join those. Oh God, um, Nick, I have can't some... you're right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, oh, I well, I guess uh, last thing is that um, certain POV media uh, has started a Twitch channel, which I am hosting the game night. Uh, the first by the time this posts, uh, the first game night has happened with Among Us, uh, so definitely check that out. Um, I will be playing I will also be playing some type of game. I, I have several ideas. I need to need to pull it so um, to, to see what I'll first uh, dip my toe in with streaming. Um, so yeah uh, follow that. check out a bunch of other podcasts uh, ministeel steel um, on certain POV.com. A bunch of great uh, shows on there. And, uh, yeah, Uh, so once again, um, thank you guys for, uh, thank you folks for coming on. Um, And, uh, yeah, listeners, we'll see you in two weeks. Bye. Bye.
5: I've heisted my way to the bestseller list once again. And the most brilliant part is I don't even know how to read
0: thank you to my big brother Sean Bullock for our theme you can check out his work at seanbullock.com and the wonderful Nikki Burger for our logo
1: who you can find on Twitter at Double Burger and on Instagram at Double Burger
0: Comics for updates sharing your thoughts or if you just want to yell at us check out the show on Twitter and Instagram at f and R Pod and you can find me on Twitter at JD underscore Martin underscore and you can check me out on Twitter at Bullock Bits where you can find info to my comics, history Instagram, and cat Instagram. And come hang out with us on the show's Discord. Check out the links to everything in the
1: episode's description, including our wonderful guest info, whoever that may be,
3: below. That's good.
5: Nostalgia is one of the strongest forces in the human psyche and is responsible for the continued existence of some of our favorite fandoms. From the minds behind the Dole Up Dreams podcast and Isolation Cast Voices from Quarantine, Saturday Morning Confidential takes you on a deep dive into the properties that helped influence the artists and creators of today. So whether you are a goonie, a gym girl, a digi-destined, or you just want to return to Oz... New episodes release on Fridays bi-weekly starting January 1st of 2021. And join us on the Wednesdays after the main show for the Serial Killer Radio Hour where we sit down with the people responsible for the toys, shows, and fandoms that you love. Now you can find Saturday Morning Confidential at certainpov.com backslash smcpod or on your favorite podcast platforms. So don't forget to tune in for another deep dive into the files of Saturday morning confidential
4: cpov
3: certainpov.com